But that don't answer the question. Who's the big cheese you're having here for lunch? Roger. Roger the fairy? Oh. <laughs> Did you hear that, Edith? You know who they're bringing around here for lunch? Roger, sweetie, prime Roger. All right, Roger, would you cut it out, huh? Who's their friend, Archie? Listen, Edith, we run a decent home here. And we don't need any any strange little birdies flying in and out. Yeah, stop that. Roger's not a strange little birdie. His pal Roger is as queer as a $4 bill, and he knows it. That's not only cruel, Daddy, that's an outright lie. You know something, Archie? Just because a guy is sensitive and, and, and he's an intellectual and he wears glasses, you make him out a queer. I never said a guy who wears glasses is a queer. A guy who wears glasses is a four-eyes. A guy who's a fag is a queer. <laughs> Now, where's it again? Now, you've seen Roger sashaying around here with his lardy dot talk. He's a pants. I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? I'm not an expert on flowers. <laughs> you might as well face it. You're all alone in this. We all know Roger, and we all know he's straight. And even if he wasn't, and I said if, what difference would that make? Do you know that in many countries, England, for instance, there is a law that says whatever two consenting adults do in private is their own business? Listen, this ain't England. We threw England out of here a long time ago. <laughs> we don't want no more part of England. And for your information, England is a fag country. <laughs> what? Sir, ain't they still picking handkerchiefs out of their sleeve, huh? <laughs> Are they still standing around leaning on them skinny umbrellas like this here? I know. The whole society is based on a kind of a vagdom. <laughs> you, 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 you know you're right, Archie. You're right. The British are a bunch of pansies. Pansies, fairies, and sissies. And the Japanese are a race of midgets. The Irish are boozers. The Mexicans are bandits. And you Polacks are meatheads. <laughs> Welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio. I am Todd Dandruff with Tellus. This is being recorded live and broadcast live on April 20th, 2019, 9.30 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time. The Saturday Night Show managed to squeeze something in. I'll explain why I was not on Wednesday or Thursday this week when we get to our first segment. I just played you a little uh, clip from All in the Family. Very classic show, one of my favorite sitcoms of all time, and even though it is now almost 50 years old, a lot of it is still very topical today. You can find most of the episodes on YouTube, which makes it convenient to watch if you want to seek it out, if you haven't seen it before. And I I think it's an extremely well-written show uh, I'm not the only one. I mean, it was a very, very big hit in the 1970s. But uh, even though it's written with a left political bias, I still really enjoyed the show. And part of that reason was because even though Archie Bunker was supposed to be kind of a, a conservative fool, um, they they also made him likable. And they also sometimes demonstrated that... Uh, the characters on the left, like uh, his son-in-law Mike, Meathead, weren't always reasonable either. So, I mean, I didn't love the political bias, but uh, you know, back in those days, they could 
create shows that appeal to everybody. And uh, nowadays, the the bias is so obvious that uh, it's it's hard to watch things in any show where there's any kind of real bias because it's just so blatant and in your face and trying so hard to teach you a lesson that uh, it becomes annoying to watch. And it's a lot harder when the bias is against your beliefs. If it's for your beliefs, it's a little easier, but I don't like that either. I don't like watching right-wing biased uh, shows either if it's really blatant and and obvious. I find that's uh, kind of pandering, and I find it also... Uh, often it doesn't have place in entertainment, but that isn't seen too often. It's usually from the left in entertainment. Anyway, I don't want to go into any kind of political rant here, especially not at the beginning of the show. So welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio again. And, uh, you know, I forgot to text Trader Ruski. See if I can locate him tonight. Otherwise, I will have to do this show myself. And we're not going to have a, a massive uh, episode. Wait, you know what? He's here. He, he texted me. He actually seeked me out and said, ready when you are. What time are we starting? So <laughs> I'm going to type now. Hopefully he's available. So I'll give you the agenda, but before I do so, the free roll has already started. You can still get in. I delayed the free roll till uh, 9.30 Pacific time, so it just started a few minutes ago. It is on the No Fraud Online Poker Room, which is at the top of the screen, and you need a separate account, and you need it to be validated before you can play there. Also, even if you are validated, you need to qualify for the free money. You need to understand how to do that by going to the rules page, pokerfraudalert.com slash freeroll. Pokerfraudalert.com slash freeroll, exactly as it sounds, all lowercase, no spaces, no dashes, no underscores, nothing like that. Just pokerfraudalert.com slash freeroll. The money is paid in cash. It will be paid to you in one of various ways, depending on which way you want it. You can get it Bitcoin. You can get a bank transfer. You can get something like Zelle, which is a bank transfer. You can also get it in another way, which you might be able to think of, a service that's been around for almost 20 years that is used to spend money online and receive money online. If you can think of what that service might be, I can send you money that way too. Uh, I'm not going to send you any money on poker sites. Don't ask for ACR funds or anything like that. I don't have that to send you. The sites I play on don't have a transfer option. So (laughs) that is one option you can't have. I can even send it to you in cash, but uh, no guarantee it gets there. I don't recommend the cash option. However, if you see me at the World Series of Poker and I owe you some money, then I'll be glad to give you the cash if I have it on me at the time. But it is real cash money every week. This week, it's $50, 25 for first, 15 for second, 10 for third, 0 for fourth. The money all came from 442XX. So thank you to him. Let's see if we can find Trader Ruski, then I'll give you the agenda. And the little intro, and then we will get going. Well, I'm looking for him. I want to give you the phone number to the show, 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355. I actually gave that number out during a little incident I had a few days ago, which I'll tell you about as our lead story. You can also call the Mount Charleston line, 
Mount Charleston is a mountain near Las Vegas. Still has snow on it. You can go take a look at my Twitter. That's twitter.com slash Todd Wittellis. That's W-I-T-T-E-L-E-S. Twitter.com slash Todd Wittellis. You can see a picture of Mount Charleston that was just taken a few days ago with snow still on top of the mountain. Pretty big snow year this year for Mount Charleston. There's an old 70s rotary phone on top of Mount Charleston in a cabin forwards to me wherever I go. The phone number is 702-430-1808. 702-430-1808 is the Mount Charleston line. You can also text the main phone number before, during, or after the show. That's our main number, 775-372-8355. Never fear texting me at the wrong time. It can be any time of day, any day. I will never get mad at you for texting me at a weird hour. The call to listen line is a method of listening to the show. It's very simple. You just call it up and listen. You can use it for the live show. You can also use it to listen to our streaming reruns, where it just picks a rerun at random and runs it in full. When you call up, you'll probably hear one in progress. And when it's over, it'll pick another rerun and run that in full over and over again until we come back on the air. That phone number is 605-313-0736. Matt the Rat messaged me on Skype today at about 9 p.m. saying, hey, I hate to tell you, but the call to listen is down. I go, yeah, I just took it down because we're about to start the live show. So he was happy to hear that. By the way, it does not require a smartphone, does not require a data plan, does not require the internet, nothing like that. It's just a regular phone number you just call up and listen to. And it's a great thing to use when you have poor reception. You have like one bar or zero bars, you can listen to the show. Other ways to listen, you can use Amazon Alexa. You just say, Alexa, play Poker Fraud Alert Radio on TuneIn, and it'll play the live show. If you want to hear the latest show in the archives, say, Alexa, play Poker Fraud Alert Radio podcast on TuneIn. Throw in the word podcast. It'll go to the last recorded archive show. You can also listen live on the TuneIn app. Just download the TuneIn app, search for Poker Fraud Alert Radio. You should find two entries there. You should find the... Uh, the archive one where you can just pick any of our shows that we've done since the beginning. And there's the live version where if we're live, you can listen live. And if you're, we're not live, you'll hear the streaming reruns the same way they are played on the call to listen line. You can use the stitcher app. That is another app you can use to listen to the archives, not live, but the archives it'll work for iTunes, Google play also supported search for poker fraud alert radio you can just download the MP3 if you want directly off of Poker Fraud Alert Radio's server. Just go to PokerFraudAlert.com, go to the radio forum, and click on the episode you want, and then just click on the MP3 file. And if you're doing that with most devices, it'll just play. Like a computer, a smartphone, most most of them, if you just click on an MP3, it'll just play without even needing any kind of player. So that's a good way to listen to the show if you don't want to subscribe to anything. A lot of listening options. If you want an additional listening option that won't result in my Jew wallet getting much thinner, please let me know. Dandruff at PokerFraudAlert.com or text me 775-372-8355. want to mention that I'm still selling one of my two World Series of Poker packages. That is the bigger event package. I, I'm selling two packages, one which uh, is for the events between 1K and 3K buy-in. That one is temporarily, or maybe permanently, 
not being sold because we're n- very near the end. And the reason I put it on hold like that is there are some people who uh, are in the process of sending money, or so they say, and I want to give that a chance to arrive. If it doesn't, I'll open it back up. But I, when it gets close to the end, I hold it back just to make sure I don't oversell. I never oversell in the T.J. Cloutier way, where I sell more than 100% of myself, but I don't want to sell more than the 40% that I was planning to sell. Some years I've accidentally done that. Of course, I've honored it. Uh, if I cash, you know, or if I make a profit, then I wish I hadn't sold that much. But uh, either way, I pay out whatever I did sell. But uh, I'm trying to be more careful not to accidentally do that because I really want to have 60% or more of myself. But in the bigger package, which is the two 10K events that I'm selling, which is the 10K Limit Hold'em and the 10K Omaha 8 or better, only a 15% markup there. I'm also not passing on any of the costs I have to play this year, which are real costs this year for the hotel, for the food. For stuff like that. I don't get that stuff free anymore. I'm not passing that on to anybody. So if you want a piece of those events, that is still open. And you can let me know. You can email me, dandruff at pokerfraudler.com. Text me, 775-372-8355, and I can give you the payment methods, pretty much the same ones I pay you for, or pay you with, using uh, or for the free roll. And I'll try to be flexible with that. Again, if I don't sell out, I'm playing anyway. I've said before that even if I sell nothing, I'm playing anyway. I don't need to sell this. I just would like to, to bring down my variance in these events, because I'm not a tournament player all year. I'm not a Bodog Ari who's playing tournaments every day, all day. That's not me. I play the World Series, and the rest of the year I play cash, so... I like to smooth out the variants, and I like to have people who listen to this show and read the forum having a piece of me, so you can all follow it, and we can all be in the same boat together. I, I enjoy playing knowing that there's others who are rooting for me because they have a financial interest in it. So, if you'd like to buy it, it's still for sale. I'm going to close it when it gets a little bit closer to the World Series because I... I just uh, I've decided at a certain point that's just going to be it unless I know you really well. I I just want all that pretty much taken care of before the series starts, you know, probably a few weeks before the series starts, which is coming close. So definitely if you want a piece of the bigger event, let me know. $115 per 0.5%, which as I said is a 15% markup. You can go to the Poker Father World Series of Poker 2019 forum to get more details. Let's see, anything else? We have a chat room. If you're listening live, you can go in there. You need a flash-enabled device, meaning you know iPhones or iPads, and you need a Poker Fraud Alert forum account in good standing in order to get in there. If you're listening in the archives, like most of you, don't bother because nobody is there. But you can go in and talk to yourself if you like. See, is that, oh, here, so I'll give you the agenda, then we'll try to track down Trader Ruski, and then we'll get going. And I'll tell you right away why this show's on Saturday night, and why it didn't have a lot of uh, pre-announcement to it. So here is the agenda for this evening. 
I went to an Indian casino on Wednesday. This past Wednesday, I went to an Indian casino called Table Mountain. It's located in Central California. I had been I had been there once before. I was there for only a few minutes before I was thrown out. Yeah. Thrown out, banned, and threatened with arrest. I will tell you what happened, why it happened, and why I acted the way I did as it was happening when we get to that segment. That was on Wednesday when I could have been doing radio. So that's where I was. I was there and I went to Yosemite with the family. So we were there for a few days and that's why radio got delayed. A little uh, spring break trip. Daniel Negreanu has accused the Global Poker Awards of impropriety after what he claimed our trolls won the Best Podcast Award. So we'll talk about that and whether the Global Poker Awards really are rigged like Negrani seems to believe they are. Poker Stars has fired three more of their longtime pros, including Barry Greenstein. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about their strategy with the pros and how it's changing. And whether these pros really brought the site any value. America's Card Room, also part of the Winning Poker Network, so I should say the whole Winning Poker Network, not just America's Card Room, they have issued refunds for the recently exposed Latvian bot ring. And we played that on the last show. We played some vloggers or Twitch. Actually, I don't think it was vloggers. I think it was uh, Twitch streamers who were playing against the Latvian bots and couldn't believe what they were seeing because the bots were malfunctioning. That led to these refunds. So I'll tell you about those refunds, how much they are, how much you can expect in the future if you run into bots that are reported and caught by America's Card Room. And I'll give you my opinion whether America's Card Room deserves praise or scorn for what they have done here regarding the bots. Speaking of scorn, Steve Wynn might be the first casino operator ever to be banned from his own property. Steve Wynn might not be allowed on any Wynn properties ever again. This sounds crazy, but true. Even though his signature is on the building, Steve Wynn may be banned from the Wynn. I'll tell you why. Well, I think you have an idea why, but I'll tell you uh, how that is coming to pass. It's not for certain yet. It may not happen, but it also might happen. And I will tell you the reason that this is a possibility, besides the obvious. Caesars has named a new CEO. I don't mean Caesars Palace, but Caesars Entertainment, the entire Caesars. They've named a new CEO. Mark Fasora is gone, and it could be sold soon. I will tell you about that Caesars news, and I will once again address these rumors that the Rio is about to be sold and demolished. We talked about it briefly on the last show. It got some play on social media, on the forums. There's been some discussion of it. I'm going to tell you what I strongly believe is the case with that. The Cosmopolitan is another 
property in Las Vegas, which may be sold soon. It was already sold once. It might be sold again. I'll tell you what's up with that and whether that is still a thriving property. Finally, if you're in Pennsylvania and you want to play online poker, legally, that is, I have good news for you. It's coming pretty soon. An official launch date has been revealed. And I will tell you what that launch date is and what you can expect when that launch date comes. That is our agenda for this evening. You have until 9.55, six minutes from now, to get into the free roll. Because it's 25 minutes of late registration. If you don't, then tough luck. You don't get in, and you will not win. You will not be in the top three if you don't play. Probably should be an easy field tonight. Not easy, but small. Because of the kind of last-minute, sort of unannounced nature of this show. It wasn't completely unannounced, but it was not promoted very well this week. I will give you that. We have uh, lower ratings than usual. It's also Saturday night. Some people choose to go out and do things rather than sit home and listen to Poker Fraud Alert Radio. But if you are here, if you are here, or maybe you're on the East Coast and your night has already completed, or maybe you're just going to pretend your night has completed, and in reality you, you never do, do anything on Saturday night. Maybe, maybe you have no one to go out and do it with. Maybe every night you sit lonely in your home and wish you had people to go out with on Saturday night. That's fine. You can say that, and I won't publicly question it. I'll be thinking it very loudly, but I won't publicly question it if you're listening to the show on Saturday night instead of going out socially with other people. I'm completely fine with that. Let's try to track down Trey Daruski, who fortunately is available. The good thing is the older people get, the more likely they are to be home on Saturday night. And as I get older, the people I know are older. So that's good news. Trader Ruski, hello. What's happening, Jeff? I'm glad that uh, you're home on Saturday night and we can yeah. have you here. That was, it was good timing. I'm up at my mom's. She goes to sleep usually around 6. So. Wow. Well, it wasn't good timing. I mean, six, o'clock, 6 o'clock would have been better timing. but uh, Yeah. I know the whole night. I'm just up here bored, so perfect okay. timing. All right, very good. Did you bring the tea with you up there? Yep, I do have the tea, but we'll not drink the tea for a while. Not quite yet. Okay, very good. What, what, oh, what's the beep? Oh, I know that beep. That's uh, the ignition. You know it? that beep. I'm I know surprised that beep. You can even hear it. No, I can. Hear, <laughs> I can hear it. Uh, I, I have like bionic hearing when it comes to the radio show. Any any slight noise in the background, I, I hear it, and then I get. Uh, all irritated, all right, like, so ah, noise. <laughs> I know, for some reason, it is so faint, but, like, when you're on the phone, you can hear it. Yeah, yeah, so it right. when I'm calling them complaining that it's not loud enough, they can, like, hear it. And it's like, because I hear the beep. It's they, like, well, you can't really hear it. You sir, know? What, say, what, why are you complaining, sir? We, we hear the beep in the background. <laughs> we hear it's very loud. It's, it's, you, you, we hear loud and clear. You go go exactly. to the doctor. Go get your hearing checked. <laughs> Yeah, I, I guess the engineers at Bovada, they, they engineered that beep perfectly to where for the player who needs it, they can barely hear it. And for people on the phone who will be annoyed by it, then it's, it's loud and clear. It's perfect. Exactly. Perfect uh, research on their part. It's, uh, they're the cutting edge of audio research. All right, so I'm going to get going here. And uh, Trader Ruski, you're going to hear this story for the first time, too. I, uh, I, I had an incident at a casino on Wednesday night. 
So this is what happened. Uh, in November, I was told of uh, an advantage play. I'm not going to go into what it is or what it was, but I was told of an advantage play at the Table Mountain Casino, which is a little bit northeast of Fresno. It's in that area. And at first I said, nah, that's too far. I don't, you know, it's about 250 miles from where I am. And I go, I, you know, that's just kind of too far. It was something which clearly had uh, an edge to it. There was no question. But it wasn't like thousands of dollars worth. So I thought, you know, this is too much trouble. I don't want to do it. Then I thought, well, what, what if I bring somebody else and, and he does it too? So I brought uh, Ken Scaler with me. And uh, basically anybody who had a warm body and the ability to get a new card could do it. It wasn't rocket science. You didn't have to be a gambling expert to get this done. You just needed to know what you needed to do. So I brought Ken Scaler. And uh, another reason I did is because I knew they'd probably be sending me offers and uh, maybe I could even return there and redeem the free play. And by the time that would all be done, maybe I could make some decent money. It would justify the 500-mile round trip. So I I went and did it. I was not sure if I was going to, but I, I decided, okay, I'll do it. Especially after I talked to Ken, he said he'd go. So I got Ken, and we drove up to the Table Mountain Casino. And uh, this is actually, I might as well tell you people now, I talked about that River Dragons game, which is one of those must-hit games where it, there's the, a, quote, jackpot of $5,000 has to hit, or near 5000 it has to hit somewhere between 4000 and 5000 and it has a counter on there. So once you see it getting close to 5000 it's an obvious thing to go play it, and everybody knows that. That's not an advantage play, but advantage players have been trying to figure out at what point do you start playing if the, if the counter's pretty high. But what I discovered about that machine, and I mentioned that on this show in November... I didn't say it was the Table Mountain, but that's where it is, is that uh, the jackpot does not hit evenly between 4000 and 5000 In fact, not even close at all. It, it tends to hit very often at like 4999 And that's what it hit for me, 4999 and some change. So I almost hit it at the very last possible moment, which means that was bad for me. I ended up losing money even though I started at what I thought was late enough in the process to where it was very likely that I was going to make money. I didn't know that these machines are kind of rigged to pay off at the very, very end near 5000 That shouldn't be legal. And I've gone over that before. That's not the fault of the casino. That's the fault of the game maker. But uh, anyway, that was the casino where I played it. That, that wasn't really the opportunity I was talking about, though. That's, that machine's in a lot of places. That was something that happened to be there, too. So anyway, uh, thanks to the River Dragons game, I ended up losing money there. And while I was there, I ended up uh, inviting two other people down. Again, who, people who weren't really uh, gamblers, but they came down to do the play also. One of them is listening right now, in fact. He texted me. So... In fact, I, I'll, I'll even go further. <laughs> I'll go further. I'll, I'm going to tell you about uh, these two people. Uh, it was actually a guy and a girl who came down. I didn't know the girl. I, I, I've known the guy for about uh, 10 years. And uh, the 
uh, after it was done, it, it kind of seemed like the guy was uh, in a rush to leave, and I didn't understand it. I knew he had dated the girl a long time ago, but I knew it had been years since they dated, so I didn't think that there was anything really with them anymore. But he seemed like he was very much in a rush to leave, which wasn't like him. Usually, when I've seen him in the past, he's not like usually looking to get away so fast. But but here it's like, okay, am I done now? Okay, can I leave? <laughs> so I said, okay, fine, yeah, you, you can leave, whatever. <laughs> so so he left, and and I found out what happened is that uh, he and the uh, girl that he came with that that also did this here, they went to a nearby casino and had sex. And that, that's why he wanted to leave so badly. <laughs> he, he wanted to go do that. So, uh, anyway. Uh, there was also one other person there. That's actually the person who told me about the Advantage play there. So there's that guy there, too. So, in total, there were five of us. Uh, the, the last two people didn't show up till later, till like several hours into it. So we weren't all five there at the same time the whole time. But in the last two hours or so, all five of us were there. Uh, There was a weird thing that happened. And, I don't know, it was kind of careless. We shouldn't have let it happen. But we didn't think it would be as much of a big deal as it turned out to be. Uh, the, The way slot machines work, this is federal law, that any kind of machine, slot machine, video poker... Anything like that, if, if, it, uh, if you win 1,200 on any spin or hand, it locks up and you have to do what's known as a hand pay. And that's, for, that's a requirement by the federal government. And you have to fill out a form, and basically they submit to the IRS that they just paid you 1,200 or more dollars. So we had the misfortune, I guess I can call it the misfortune, of hitting like a little mini jackpot on it for like $1,205. Which you may say, how's that a misfortune? Well, I'm glad I got it, but what was unfortunate is that it wasn't like 11.95 because then it would not have locked up like that. And this unfortunately led to a lot of weird things. This is what happened. Uh, I was spinning it, and so was the guy who invited me there in the first place. We were kind of just sitting there, both alternately hitting the button. Not not for any reason. We we're just kind of doing it out of boredom. Like I'd press some, he pressed some. Yeah, like you know, I press it a few times, it would lose. You go, okay, let me try my luck, like that. We weren't, we weren't really believing that one person was luckier than another. We were just kind of messing around that way. Didn't matter who actually spun it. There's no skill to it. Well, then that mini jackpot was hit, and we honestly forgot which one of us hit it because the way it works is the machine does this like bonus round spinning, and like it took a few minutes until it was done, and and when it was all. Added together, it was over 1,200, just barely. So we had forgotten, like, hey, you know, which one of us pressed the button? So they came over and asked that. They said, which one of you pressed the button? Because they, they do have to know this. Now, usually they're not that hard line about it. Just whoever says it, they take their word for it. But this casino was really hard line about who pressed the button. So we said, we're not sure, but, you know, I, I thought it was me. And they were going to give me the tax form. It didn't really matter who got it. We weren't trying to avoid anything there. But I, I thought it was me, and I was the one sitting in the chair, and it was my card in there when it was being spun. But uh, they made us sit there while they checked the camera, and they determined it was the other guy who pressed it. And I think they're wrong, by the way. I think they were, 
I think they saw it incorrectly. It was when we, when we were discussing it, like while we were waiting, we determined it really did seem like it was me. Like we, we both remembered it being me. But they claimed from the camera it was him. You may wonder, well, how can the camera be wrong? Because what they're not, what they're missing here is that the once you hit like the bonus thing, that's really the spin that does it. If you're just like pressing the button to speed up the bonus round, that doesn't do anything. So I, I think that's what they saw was him just pressing the button to speed up the round. So we just see what we get. And I think they determined that was him pressing the button because he was probably the last one to press it. But that, it really, by law, it really should have been me. But but anyway, it, it didn't matter that much. But the problem was they were acting already kind of funny about this, like that they weren't very happy about this. It, they didn't say it, but I could tell that they, they, could, they thought this was a little bit weird. And then they, we sat there for a while. Then they came back and said, we have another problem. Uh, we need your Social Security card. And we're like, what? You're, you're, you're not even told to bring your Social Security card anywhere. If you go look at your social security card, it says to leave this at home. Don't carry this in your wallet. So it's not a, a thing meant to be brought around. But they asked us, do we have it? Or they asked him, does he have it? It didn't matter for me because it was supposedly his jackpot. So he said, I'm not sure. I might have it in my car. But asked why. And they said, our computer is down. And we cannot access the system with the government that validates the information you're giving us and we need to know for sure that you're giving us a valid social security number now it is true you have to give a social security number when you hit these hand pays that is true but i've never seen a place force you to give the social security card because you're not even supposed to be carrying that but we said well what if we don't have it and they said well then we have to withhold 30 percent and then you'll have to come back and get this from us later once you can produce it or once we can validate through the system. So he went to his car, he searched it, he found the Social Security card, brought it back, and uh, they paid the whole thing, and that was that. We were wondering if this was going to bring too much attention to us, and they were going to start looking at everything, and, and, and you know, we were afraid that this was going to expose the play we were doing. But uh, nothing happened. Nothing happened. Now... Another weird thing that happened that same night was that uh, those other two people, you know, the ones that had sex, um, they played some, but their card did not earn the bonus it was supposed to. I won't get into details, but their card did not earn what was expected, and that was quite disappointing. In fact, the cards that they used, uh, when redemption was attempted... The cards earned zero point zero. And this was not like much later. I'm not talking about days or weeks later. I'm talking about like immediately afterwards. So that was also weird. But again, nobody said anything. And when this was questioned on the phone by one of the cardholders about a day later, they actually acknowledged the mistake was on their end. They said, yeah, we, we had a problem. Our system, after midnight, it sometimes has trouble uh, putting the bonuses on, blah, blah, blah. So they they added a very much inferior bonus compared to what really should have been earned. And that you also had seven days to go redeem it, and these two people didn't live close enough to come to it. So that was, that was wasted as well. Okay? So that was a big fail. So there, there were some fails there, okay? But the the point is that nobody was 
thrown out. Nobody was warned. Nobody was threatened. Nobody was detained. There, there were these weird things occurring, but nobody was backed off in any way. At the same time, with all this weirdness that happened, I felt a little bit strange about going there. The problem with Indian casinos is that they operate under their own rules. There's a very stupid situation going on with the tribal land in the United States. And it's something that needs to change, especially if they're going to have casinos. And that is, in a way, they're considered sovereign nations. Even though they're within the United States, even though they do have to follow some federal and state laws, they can't just totally do whatever they want. But in a lot of matters, they can, which should not be. They should not be allowed within this country and within states in this country for tribes to be able to be above the law and in some cases operating their own kangaroo courts with little power for anyone who's unfortunate enough to be on their land and a victim of all this. And this extends to tribal casinos. And when I first heard about this many years ago, I, I, I didn't believe it. I thought this couldn't be true. But I had heard many years ago, like decades ago, that if you have a problem in an Indian casino, that the Indian casino can do what they want. They can cheat you. They can detain you. They can arrest you. And even if it's completely BS, and even if you're, you believe your rights are being violated, if they, even if they are being violated, you have to take it up with their own tribal court. So basically, whoever's doing this to you, you have to complain to them. Can you imagine? That, that's who you complain to, is the tribe. The tribe is the one who decides if there's any consequence for the tribe mistreating you. And I thought that couldn't be true. And I remember thinking, well, how could this be true? Because these tribes, they operate these casinos with permission from the state. And they can't just offer what they want. They can't offer sports betting. They can't offer craps with dice, at least not in California. They can't, uh, there, there's a lot of things they can't do. So how come they can't just say, oh, we're our own sovereign government, we can do what we want, as far as the casino goes, how can they have to get permission from the state for that? But yet if there's any dispute with the patrons of these casinos, that they get to do what they want, they get to decide what they want, they get to screw who they want. I said, this couldn't make any sense. I had always thought they were operating under some state gaming commission overseeing them. But they're really not. So the problem is when you run into issues at an Indian casino, unless the casino is affiliated with a large American company that doesn't want to look bad, for example, like Harris Rincon or Harris Resort Southern California, whatever you want to call it, if you have a problem there, you could go to Caesars and complain, and they have to answer to Caesars. Because the Caesars, believe it or not, actually has some standards to uphold. I know some of you are laughing at that, but uh, Caesars really does have some standards to uphold, and they they can't have the Indian casinos operating w- under their brand abusing people. So they can't do anything they want. But these independent Indian casinos that are not affiliated with large American brands, they can do what they want. 
So when it comes to the treatment of advantage players, you really have to be careful if you're an advantage player in an India casino because they can arrest you and there's a lot of other things they can do to you and you'll have no recourse. And it's very dumb. It's very, very dumb. If the U.S. government wants to make certain concessions to the Native Americans because this was once their land hundreds of years ago and because a lot of these tribes are struggling financially, some tribes are struggling with uh, a high rate of alcohol and drug abuse and the government wants to help them, that's fine. The government can help them. But they should not allow them to operate kangaroo courts and be above the normal state law and federal law. They should not be able to abuse individuals who are not members of their tribe who happen to be on their land. It should be the same way city and county governments operate, where they cannot supersede state law. Where you have, no matter what city or county you're in, you always have the rights that the state government and the federal government give to you. That city government, city government and county government can never override state or federal law. And that should be the case in these Indian tribes on their land, but it's not. So you always have to watch out. So I was always a little bit nervous about coming back there, even though no one told me not to. Even though there was no real incident that occurred there. I thought, what if I come back and they decided that they thought, they thought, all, they thought there was some weirdness going on? Or they see advantage players as criminals and they arrest me. And then what do I do? If they arrest you wrongfully in a Las Vegas casino, there are attorneys there that actually specialize in this. I actually know of one uh, named Bob Nerzian, who is uh, a real thorn in the side of casinos in Las Vegas, that uh, advantage players know to call if they are ever being mistreated or their rights being violated in Las Vegas casinos. And he's very good. I, I don't know him personally, but that's who I would call if I ran into an issue in a Las Vegas casino. In Las Vegas casinos, I know I have rights. Sometimes those are violated, but then you can put some consequences on them for violating your rights. But in these Indian places, you don't. And attorneys are not going to get you out of it. State law is not going to get you out of it. So I was a little worried. Like, what if they consider the advantage play to be cheating and against their tribal law? What if they will try to put me in jail? What if they try to hold me for a long time? I'm thinking, is this really worth it? I was getting these free play offers, and I'm going, should, should I come there? I don't, you know, like part of me said yes, part of me said no. Well, fortunately, the free play offers were not enough to justify the long trip there. So I didn't really have to make that decision. It just wasn't worth going. You know, putting all this aside, it just w- wasn't worth going. But for spring break, I decided to do a first-time-ever spring trip to Yosemite National Park. I had been there a number of times in my life, but always in the summer. I'd never been there in any other season but the summer. I wanted to see what it was like in the spring because I heard some things were different there. 
I knew some things were different there, and I wanted to see Yosemite in the spring. So we took a family trip there. Well, Yosemite is quite close to the Table Mountain Casino. Not like right next door, but in the same general area. And I had a $225 free play that I could redeem. So I thought, well, of course, I've got to go redeem this. So I told Benjamin's mom that I needed to stop there. Now, she could come in, but Benjamin couldn't come in, obviously, because uh, these... An Indian casino with no hotel. I shouldn't say obviously. I should explain that an Indian casino without a hotel, there's no reason for a minor to go in there, and they actually don't let minors in. So if you're not 21, you just can't come in. And there's a guard standing at the door IDing anyone who appears to be too young to come in. So I had her wait in the car. So everybody waited in the car for me while I went in myself. And I said, look, this is me very quick. I just had to run $225 for the free play, cash it out, come back out, and we'll go on. So she just sat in the car there. I did think to myself, what if something happens? And I even told her. I didn't want to worry her, but I told her to leave her cell phone ringer on and make sure it's on. Because I thought to myself, what if I have to call her and tell her what's going on? (laughs) And tell her to go find help. So I thought, well, now I'm just being paranoid here. I'm just going to come in, run the free play, and leave. So I went in, found a good video poker machine, a 9-6 jacks or better machine, sat down, put my player's card in, and it said, hello, Todd, you have $275 of the free play. I said, oh, great, $275. I thought it was $225. Clearly the flyer said $225, but I'm not going to ask any questions about this. So I ran my $275. I didn't do particularly well. I didn't hit anything better than uh, I hit one flush and one three of a kind, and that was it as far as hands better than two pair. So I didn't do very well. The 275 of free play converted into 175 real dollars. And I was about to hit cash out. And by the way, the way, the way this free play worked is you had to put money in first, like seed money. Now, you're not spending anything you're not risking anything it's just the machine wants money in it first before you can run the free play does some work like that out of convenience i just threw a hundred in there but the truth is i could have just put in five because it was a dollar machine which i should have done because it's just risking an extra hundred if anything happens that uh you'll lose so i put the hundred in i won the 175 with a free play so i now had 275 sitting in the machine of real dollars 100 of which I put in, 175 which I won. I was about to take out the card and hit the cash out button for the ticket, but then I said, wait a minute. I saw I had some points. Let me make sure that I can't use these points for free play as well. Well, it turned out I could. It turned out I had $20 worth of points to use. And you could only do a $10 at a time. So I converted the first $10, played the first hand. It was $5 per hand. So I played the first hand didn't win, was about to play the second hand, and then I hear from behind me, uh, uh, hello there, Todd. Uh, Can I talk to you? Well, I don't know why, but my mind first went to believing that it was a host who just saw me put my card in the machine. Because when, When you put your card in the machine, 
whatever host you're associated with gets a little notice, and they'll a lot of times they'll come by and say hello to you. I thought that's who it was, so I said like, "Oh, hi!" And then I'm about to to play the, the next hand, and I hear, um, "Actually, I need you to come with me." And I go, "Oh, crap!" I didn't say that out loud, but that's what I was saying in my head. As I knew it was not a host. And I looked more carefully, and it was a security guard. And I said, well, why do you need me to come with you? He said, can you please just cash out and come with me? And I said, well, can I play this last hand here? He says, nope, you need to cash out and come with me. Because I I knew once I stood up from the machine, I would be losing that other $5 of free play that was there that I had just bought with my points. But... I had to cash out and come with him. So then I wonder where he's going to bring me. If it was going to be a back room, I was going to really resist going because you don't want to be out of the public view, especially in an Indian place. Because uh, it doesn't happen that much these days, but it still does happen where advantage players are beaten up. So if you stay in public view, they're not going to do that. Well, fortunately, I didn't have to deal with the back rooming. Fortunately, he walked me over to the security desk right in the center of the open casino. So he brought me to another security guard who seemed to be in charge. And that guard said, Yeah, I want to let you know that uh, we brought you over here because you were on a watch list of players that we are uh, concerned about. And uh, so we saw you were here, and we uh, we need to ask you, uh, are you letting other people use your player's card? And I said, no. And I, I really wasn't. I wasn't letting people use my player's card. That's not what was going on. And I said, look, you can check the camera. All the play on this card, I did myself. In fact, look at it right now. <laughs> I'm by myself. I'm using my own card. You guys saw that. I can prove who I am. So this is supporting what I'm trying to tell you. And they said, so nobody else has used your card? And I said, well, look, I have I had pe- last time I was here, the only time I was here, there were people with me, but we all used our own cards. I was with friends, but I used my own card. You can go take a look if you still have that video. He says, well, of course you'd say that, but that's not the information we have. So then he said, so uh, what I'm doing here is I'm filling out a form, and it said something like uh, banned from property for extended period of time. And at first I thought that I'm just getting suspended from the property for a few months, but then I asked him, I was like, it says for an extended period of time, how, how long is this? He says, no, no, that's indefinite. Until we say it's over, you're, you're, just, you're just banned. I said, oh, okay, well. That's your choice. You can ban me if you wish. He says, if you want, if you want to appeal the ban, then you can contact the, the tribal elders and, and we can look into this again. And I said, no, I'm not going to bother with that. There's a lot of casinos in the area. If you don't want my business here, that's fine. I just uh, thought that I would uh, drop in because I was in the area. I didn't want to say anything about free play because I, was, I had a feeling they wouldn't let me cash out the ticket if they knew it was mostly free play. So I just uh, so then they asked to see my ID. Now let's go back to a banning I had the last time I actually got 
thrown out of a casino when I was actually there. See, I, I mentioned last year that incident that I had where I was thrown out in absentia, where I was banned from a certain Las Vegas Strip casino, but didn't find out about it until months later when I tried to make a room reservation. So obviously there was no confrontation there. That was something that occurred after, I guess it occurred shortly after I left and I didn't know about it for months. So that's very different, obviously. And some of you were asking me what happened with that. Uh, that's still ongoing, and I don't want to talk about it yet, but it, I'm, I'm going to talk about it pretty soon because I think it's going to be over pretty soon. And unfortunately, my chances of getting back are pretty low at this point, but I'm not completely done with that one. But uh, first of all, I hadn't been banned from any casino in like a decade, and now we have two in less than a year. But this is the first one in quite some time where I was actually banned and told by security guards I can't come back. I mean, it's been more than a decade since that happened. So when it last happened, I won't say where, but I was not using a player's card. And I was surrounded by security guards. And this was at a Las Vegas casino. And I was just going to cash out. And before I could get to the cage, like several security guards surrounded me. And a a woman who was a manager there did the talking. And she told me that I'm being banned. But then, no, the first thing she did is she asked for ID. She said, can I see some ID, please? And I was old enough at the time. I knew that there was no way they were concerned I was under 21. So I said, no. And she said, no, why don't you want to show us your ID? I said, because it's my right not to. I said, but I can leave if you'd like. And then she went into the whole speech about how I'm permanently banned. But they never got my name. They took a picture of me. I didn't try to prevent the picture, but I I refused to help pose for it in any way. They took one as I just stood there. And uh, I wasn't giving them any reason to attack me or detain me. I was very polite and uh, calm and uh, definitely kept my arms down the whole time so they couldn't claim I was trying... They thought that I was trying to attack them. And uh, they let me cash out my chips, which they have to by law, because I wasn't accused of any kind of cheating. So they had to let me cash out the chips. And then... I'm talking about the one now over a decade ago, not the recent one. And then they, I actually asked them, I said, well, I'm here with a few people. Can you let me uh, inform them what's going on here so I don't just disappear? And they wonder what happened. And they said, fine. So I told them, and then all of us left. This actually screwed the other people. The other people were not advantage players, but the other people got banned too. I didn't realize that would happen to them, but it did. Eventually, they got it overturned because it was only me who was engaging the activity the casino didn't like. But anyway, the difference here is that, you know, the difference in that one is it was in Vegas, so I knew I didn't have to cooperate. I wasn't going to cause a scene or a problem, but at the same time, I was not going to give them anything I did not have to give by law, and I knew I didn't have to give them ID. I knew I didn't have to give them my name. I knew I didn't have to do any favors for them or cooperate with anything. All I had to do is leave if they asked me to leave and not come back if they asked me not to come back. And that was it. At an indie casino, it's different. There's basically no rules. They can do what they want. So I was thinking to myself, what do I do here? Because I had three things going on here that I was concerned about. Number one, 
the $275 ticket I was holding? Would they let me cash it out? The more difficult I was for them, the less of a chance they would let me cash it out. Concern number two, which is a bigger concern than the first one, would they arrest me? If I did not do what they asked, might they arrest me and claim that I'm part of some ring using multiple cards to defraud them? And number three, another big concern, what about Benjamin's mom and the other people in the car, including Benjamin himself? We're on the way to Yosemite for a family vacation. I can't leave them sitting in the car for hours and hours or maybe more while I'm detained. So I thought to myself, I really, really need to put my pride aside and I need to not try to assert my rights here and really just try to get out of this and be able to walk out that door very soon. And preferably with my $275. So I stuck to my story that people weren't playing on my card, which was actually true. Uh, But at the same time, anything they were asking me to do, I was doing. So they asked, can we see your ID? In a Vegas casino, I would have said, no, here I gave it to them. So they copied some info off my ID. They asked me, is the address on that ID still good? The real answer is no. The real answer is that while it's an address I can still receive mail, uh, I don't live at that address anymore. But I told them, yes, it's good. So they <laughs> they put that one down. I'm obviously not going to volunteer additional stuff for them to have on me. They said, give us your phone number. So I gave them 775-372-8355. That is my phone number. You could call me on it right now. I can prove it to you. <laughs> I didn't say that to them, but I gave them the radio phone number. That's really what I gave them. Then they said we need you to sign this document. I said, do I get a copy of it? They said, no. So I said, well, let me read it. Well, the document basically said that I'm being banned from the property until they say I'm not banned. And that if I return to the property, that any tickets or chips or credits I have, when they catch me there, they will confiscate. So no matter how much I've won or no matter how much I have in the machines or in chips or whatever, they're just going to take them and I won't get to cash them out. That is next time, not this time. I was not going to sign anything about this time. But uh, I I had a ticket in my hand. But it it was talking about next time. Then it also said that I will be arrested and prosecuted if I return. The paper did not ask me to concede that I was doing anything wrong. In fact, it was a standard form. It was nothing about me personally. So I was not signing that I had committed any violation. I was just basically signing an agreement that I'm not coming back there. And if I do, that I understand that they will take all my credits and chips and tickets that I've won at the casino, and they'll also arrest me. So it's basically saying, yes, I know this. Yes, I understand this. Yes, you told me this. That's that's basically what I'd be signing. Now, again, I would not sign anything if this is a Vegas casino. I'd say, no, I don't want to sign it because me signing anything is to their advantage. And I would tell the Vegas casino, no, I don't wish to sign anything, sorry. However, here I didn't want to say this because of the reasons I just gave you. 
But at the same time, I'm like, you know, I don't want them to have my signature either. <laughs> Screw them. So I, I, I signed it, but with a totally different signature. I actually kind of almost like printed my name, Todd Wittellis, with a, you know, a slight signature-looking thing, but nothing like my real signature. I tried to make it as different from my real signature as I could. So I put that, they don't know what my real signature looks like, so I, I wrote it that way. Then they asked me, can you remove your hat? Because I had a baseball hat on. They said, uh, can you remove your hat for the picture? Again, in a Vegas casino, I'd say, no. If you want to take a picture of me, I can't stop you, but I'm not going to pose for it. But here, I said, okay, fine, and I removed my hat and they took a picture. Then came the part that was most uh, suspect to me of whether I should do or not. They wanted me to give them a fingerprint. They wanted to get a thumbprint from me and put it on that same paper I signed that I'm not going to come back. That felt funny to me. I wasn't being arrested, remember. And yet they wanted to fingerprint me. They weren't going to be using it as a background check. They weren't, they weren't taking the fingerprint to check if I have priors or whatever and hold me. They wanted the fingerprint for the future. I was about to say no to that, or at least give a light protest to it, which I kind of still wish I did. I kind of wish I just said I'd prefer not to and only do it if they really insisted. But I just did it. I wanted to get out of there so badly, I just did it. So then I said, okay, can I go cash out my ticket? They said yes. Walked me over to the cage. I cashed out my ticket. They walked me to the door. I walked out. They didn't follow me. I walked away. Uh, Funny enough, as I was walking out, some guy on a motorcycle shouts to me something about being banned. And I'm like, I I don't want to talk to some weirdo on a motorcycle. So I kept walking. He wasn't riding the motorcycle. He was sitting on the motorcycle in the parking lot. Then he yells at me again, something about banned again. So I finally went over to him and said, uh, and he said, so why'd you get banned? So I said, I don't know. They thought some, something about people using my Players Club card, and I, that wasn't true, but they were insisting it was, so they kicked me out. And, uh, you know, they wanted me to sign some form, and I did it because it's an Indian casino. I never know what's going to happen. He says, oh, man, they ain't going to do shit. <laughs> he said, they banned me once before for something I didn't do. And he, for him, it was different. It wasn't about advantage play. They thought that he had committed some disruption there, that it turned out it was someone who looked like them that did, and that he appealed it, and that he was able to come back. Anyway... Uh, he, he was more just wanting to commiserate with me about being banned from there unfairly. And so I, I asked him, I said, wait a minute, how did, how did you know I was banned? Because you didn't, like the security guard didn't follow me out and you're sitting out here in your motorcycle. How do you know I was banned? He said, I was on, I was one of the, on one of the machines that was close to you when it happened, when they stood you up and made you leave. <laughs> so um, I don't know why he went out too, but uh Maybe he was so curious he was waiting for me to walk out so he could ask what happened. But whatever it was, I had a short conversation with him and I left. So then I came back in the car and told Benjamin's mom, well, I just got thrown out. Afterwards, I thought about it and I thought, you know, did I do this right? Because I really don't know. I don't know what the right protocol is in an Indian casino. I know in a non-Indian casino what the right protocol is. And that basically is to just not give them any reason to attack you or backroom you, but at the same time, don't give up any of your rights, and if necessary, demand they call gaming or call an attorney 
especially one in the area who specializes in it, like that Bob Nerzian. But what about an Indian casino where it's their tribal court who's going to be hearing anything? What do you do there, especially if you can't really afford at the moment to dig in your heels and get arrested because your family's out there waiting for you in the car and you're about to go on a family vacation for a few days? So I thought, well, definitely I did the right thing by cooperating. But what about the stuff that I did while cooperating? Can this come back to bite me? And I thought about it, and it probably can't. Uh, The worst thing they're going to do, or that they can do with what I gave them, is they could distribute this to other casinos who could kind of pre-ban me or, or at least watch me closely. But number one, I don't think they're going to. And number two, because they're all kind of like out for themselves. They're not looking to do favors for each other. Uh, but, but number two, they could have done that even without my cooperation. They had my name. So if I refused to cooperate, they, they could still distribute my name and whatever pictures they had of me in there without any cooperation from me whatsoever. So that wasn't that big of a concern. They could have had like a poster with your thumb on it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Watch out. If you see this man's thumb, do not let him in the casino. <laughs> have you seen this thumb? This thumb is a danger to casinos everywhere. If you want to remain in business, do not let this thumb on your premises. But I, I was thinking about everything. So this, this is why they had me do everything. I think what they wanted was to really, really make it clear, first of all, that I understood I was totally banned. Then if I came back, if they arrested and prosecuted me, I I couldn't try to claim later, oh, I had no idea. Especially because you still uh, sometimes will continue to get mailers after things like this. So they wanted me to sign a paper basically saying, yeah, uh, I know you're going to arrest me if I come back. And, and I understand this. Like they, they wanted me to sign that, so there's no question later. And not so much for their tribal court, but you know, in, in case there's like a, a PR disaster over something where someone comes back and gets arrested. That, that's, that's, I think, number one. Number two, the, the fingerprint, I think the point of that is if somebody comes back with a different ID or claims they don't have their ID and claims they're a different person, this way they could arrest the person, fingerprint them, and prove they're the same person that signed that paper. I'm pretty sure that, that's what this is about, is just making it very clear that I can't ever come back there and that if I do and and they catch me there, then they can prove that I knew that I was trespassing and also if I claim not to be me, they can prove who I am by the fingerprint for the first time. I think that's the whole point of everything. So since I'm not going to go back, this stuff really didn't matter very much and it was better to just cooperate and get out of there. Uh. I'm pretty sure, though I didn't ask about this, but I'm pretty sure that uh, everybody else with me probably suffered the same fate. So anyone with me that night, including Ken Scaler, shouldn't uh, set foot in the place again. The reason they got to me so fast was because I put my card in the machine for the free play. Had I not done that, then they would not have known I was there. But at the same time, that was the whole reason I was there. So it's not like I made a mistake by running the free play. That's why I walked in there was to run the free play. But I, I kind of left the whole thing feeling crappy. Like, I don't care about that casino. It's it's nowhere near me. It's nowhere near I t- a place I would typically go. Never setting foot in there again is fine. 
But the fact that I felt so much at their mercy there as compared to a regular casino environment that's regulated by the state, it really made me think again about how these Indian casinos just have too much power. And there's a very easy solution to this. This is not a complicated thing to solve. The state should say, if any dispute comes up here, it will be handled. Uh, it'll be handled at, at the state level. That uh, the state gaming commission, whatever that might be, and every state that has gambling of some sort has some kind of gaming commission. Sometimes it's a lottery commission. Sometimes it's a an actual gaming commission. But whatever the state gaming commission is that oversees the casino. That should be whoever, they should be the ones to hear complaints, just like in Nevada. In Nevada, if I have complaints about them, about any casino, then I can take it to Nevada Gaming. And I can also sue the casino and sue them in a court that is impartial. And there should also be that ability as well, where it would not be handled by the tribal court, it would be handled by some legal entity that would not be associated with the tribe. That would be impartial. And what the state should say is either agree to this or you can't have a casino here. (laughs) That's that. That's what they should do. They should say, we need to protect our residents. We need to protect the customers of your casino from abuse. And it's not fair for you to be judge, jury, and executioner of any patrons that are there regarding any dispute that comes up. And that's what they are. They make the rules. They make the laws. They decide what to enforce. And if you get screwed, there's zero recourse. There have been some attempts recently. I don't know if they've been successful or not to where individuals at the casino or Individuals in the tribe can be sued outside of uh, the tribal courts, even though the casino itself cannot be sued. But I don't know if these have really gone anywhere. For those suits to be successful, I believe you'd have to prove the individual uh, did something kind of outside of the auspices of the company. But they just really need to change this. Why don't they change this? Why why does the state allow this to be the situation? Why do all states allow this to be the situation? Because they don't care. Because they just want their money. Because they do get money from these Indian tribes for having these casinos. And the state just wants their money. And they're happy getting their money. And they, they don't care. They should care, but they don't. And there hasn't been enough of a big deal made about this to get this changed. But it's insane that this situation should exist and that you're at the mercy of these tribes when you're on their land. It's not fair. It's not right. And it's bad enough that they have the unfair advantage to operate a casino where such casinos cannot operate outside of Indian land in these states like California. That's bad enough. But then if there's any problem, if they abuse any patrons, then the patron can't do anything about it. It's horrible. 
and it made me think about how bad the situation is and how unjust the situation is. And I'm not talking about my situation so much, though mine, mine sucked in that I had to basically do what they said or I, else I was afraid I was going to be uh, held there for an indefinite amount of time with my family sitting in the car. And I decided it just wasn't worth saying no to these things. It wasn't worth asserting my rights. And it's really sad. Well, I wasn't just not asserting my rights. I didn't have rights. <laughs> I wasn't asserting the rights I should have had, but didn't. And for that reason, I had to basically be their bitch so I could walk out of there. Now that I'm away from there, I don't care. I'm not going to be on their land ever again. But to be able to walk out of there and drive away, I had to be their bitch. And it shouldn't be that way. It's not that way at Vegas casinos. So I think my career of advantage playing at Indian casinos is over after this. I just don't want to deal with this again or fear this again. Except at casinos where they are associated with a large American company to where they can't just do what they want. But these independent Indian casinos, no. Not doing that again. At least not until this changes, which I don't know if it ever will. So you will not see me at the the, uh, Table Mountain Casino anytime soon. So that was was the start to my Yosemite trip. Uh, Separately, totally separately... Um, I, I actually used Orbitz for the first time in a very long time to book my room. Trader Risky, have you used Orbitz before? I don't think so. I, I might have, because they back end a lot of sites too, don't they? Um, yeah, I think they do. I, I, I haven't really kept track of them in recent years, but um, th- this is what happened. Was uh. It was actually it was actually kind of good that I used them because originally I was going to stay at another casino. This Table Mountain doesn't have a hotel, so I was never considering staying there. But uh, you can't. But there's another casino that I've never played at before. That's called Chickasaw Gold, which is uh, a little bit south of the south entrance of Yosemite, in a city called Coarse Gold. And I was just going to stay there and just pay whatever the normal rate was. Because I had rem- I had stayed there 15 years ago, not for Yosemite, but for a different reason. I was just uh, there visiting someone who lived in the area, and I, it was suggested I stay there. So I was going to come back for like the first time in 15 years, and I'd remember it being very close to Yosemite. So I figured that was a good option. And I noticed that during the week, a lot of times they do these, quote, last-minute sales for that night only where they drop the price way down when they're not selling enough rooms. So I decided that's going to be my strategy since it's going to be on Wednesday. Like it's very, it's, I'm sure Like I, I saw Monday and Tuesday did that. So I'm like, oh, I'm sure Wednesday will do that. Well, no, Wednesday was the opposite. Wednesday, the price like doubled. So they must have sold very well that day. I said, crap, there goes that strategy. Well, I'm not, I'm not paying like 360 bucks to stay there for a night. It's an, it's, it's an okay hotel, but I'm, I'm not paying 360 to stay like, you know, south of the park. 
So I started looking for other places to stay. And uh, I found that for whatever reason, that particular day, that Wednesday, like everything was sold out. And I was going, crap, I almost just canceled the trip. The whole trip was kind of a last minute thing. Then I was, somehow I ended up at Orbitz. I didn't even try to go to Orbitz, but somehow like a window opened up with Orbitz. (laughs) I ended up there. And uh, Orbitz was saying that I, you know, there's one place they had one room left for a suite that was uh, like $194. And it, it, the whole thing looked pretty good. And I looked at the property and it looked pretty good. And it was, it was close. In fact, it was closer than Course Gold to the park. So I said, okay, I'll take it. So I took what they called a spa suite, which I thought it was a great deal for $194 a night to get a spa suite. And this place was one of the closer places to the south end of Yosemite Park. And fairly good ratings. So I took that through Orbitz. I prepaid, but it was fine because it was the same day, so I didn't really give a crap about prepaying. And so on, uh, like shortly after the whole thing happened with uh, Table Mountain, I called up the place and I, I, I asked the place that I was staying, you know, just wanted to verify that everything's okay with my booking because I did it with Orbitz. And they're like, uh, yeah, yeah, it's fine. We we ha- Actually, no, they didn't say it's fine. At, at first they're telling me they're sold out and I'm like, well, no, I, I booked through Orbitz. <laughs> they're like, uh, so they looked again. They go, oh, no, I, actually, actually, we can get you in. That's fine. I go, so I'm still going to have the spa suite? Well, like, well you're going to have a, a suite. I go, well, okay, what about the spa part? They said, no, we, we don't have that. In fact, everyone's checked in already. So all we can give you is a suite. And we don't know why Orbit's listed it that way, but all we really had available was just a regular suite. I go, well, is there any difference in size? No, it just doesn't have the, the spa tub. So that's not, not a big deal. I never use those anyway. But I, I called, I said, well, is the spa suite usually more expensive than the regular? They said, yeah, a little bit. So I called Orbitz. I'm like, well, you know, guys, you, you, you sold me a spa suite and I just got a regular suite. So, and it sounds like it was your fault. It wasn't even the hotel's fault. Somehow you guys got the idea a spa suite was available. So Orbitz is now totally like Philippines customer service. There's no U.S. customer service, which sucks. And this, this call took forever. And I won't bother to go through the whole back and forth during the call, but it was awful. I was put on hold long periods of time, and they were misunderstanding me. Anyway, when it was all said and done, uh, first they denied it. First they denied that uh, I really did buy a spa suite, and when I finally proved to them I did, and then when I finally proved that I didn't get it, and they, they had to call the property and ask them if I'm really getting a spa suite, and they said no. So finally they acknowledged I was right. So they said, okay, sir, we've looked up on the hotel website and we see that the difference on most days between the spa suite and the non-spa suite is $16 a night, which is true. So I didn't know what the difference was. I just knew there was a difference, but uh, I didn't expect this to happen. But uh, later I looked up, it was $16 a night. So so what we're going to do is we're going to be nice. Instead of giving you $32 for the two nights you're going to have there, two times 16, instead of giving you 32 we're going to give you $50. We're going to give you $50 in Orbitz bucks. <laughs> As a courtesy to you. I said, whoa, hold on a second. This isn't a courtesy. So basically, you, you overcharged me by $32. And now you're going to give me 50 in Orbitz bucks that I don't want instead of refunding my $32? 
they, well, we've, we've, we thought we were trying to do something nice here. I go, no, no, no. I want the 32 back in regular dollars. I don't want Orbitz dollars. Because I, I don't usually use Orbitz. And I, I, what sucks about them is you have to prepay. You can't get any kind of special deal. Like, like for example, you know, like... Uh, if you qualify for a lower rate in some way, or or if the, if the rate changes later, like there's no flexibility. The whole th- like using something like Orbit sucks usually. Here it was fine because it was like a last minute thing. So I, I didn't want fifty Orbits dollars. It's one of my thirty two diff- dollars difference. So they said they'll send me the thirty two dollars, and then I said, "Well, hold on a second. There's another problem here. So you guys sold me something more expensive, and gave me something, and I got something less expensive." And you just want to give the difference. That's a forced downgrade. A forced downgrade shouldn't just be the difference because how do you know I didn't buy this because I wanted a spa? Now, the truth was I didn't, but you know what I'm saying here. Like It's, it's like saying uh, – it's like going out to uh, buy – it's like going to a, a prime steakhouse and you order a uh, $60 steak and they bring you a, a burger from McDonald's that's worth $5. And you complain. You go, what the hell is this? Why am I getting a McDonald's burger? I thought I'm supposed to get a prime steak. And they say, oh, you're right, sir. Okay, well, we'll give you a $55 refund on that because the dollar it's a $5 burger from McDonald's. You paid 60 for the steak, so we'll give you a $55 refund. You'd say, no, that's not. I didn't come here for a burger. I didn't come here for a McDonald's burger. So you can't just downgrade me and give me the difference. That's not what I ordered in the first place. That's, like I explained that to the Philippines, but they didn't get it. They just kept or at least pretended they didn't get it. So finally, like, they're like, okay, sir. Uh, the most we can do for you is give you the $32 cash back, and then the we can give you $25 additional dollars in Orbitz bucks. <laughs> so I accepted that. And then just before they processed the whole thing, I go, wait a minute. Didn't the $32 have tax on it too? Didn't I already pay tax on this uh, $32? Well, yes. Well, why don't I get that back? Because that's not how we calculate it, they told me. Well, okay. Well, that Anyway, I decided I'm not going to press it any further. It was like a really long phone call, and I, they had worn me down. So I just took the damn $32 without the tax and the 25 orbits bucks, which I'll probably never use. What a freaking fail that site is. The, the place I was at was, was pretty good. So I was happy I went to that place. It wasn't perfect, but I was pretty happy with it, especially for the last minute. But, uh, yeah, those those sites suck these days. They They used to be good years ago, like many years ago, because you used to be able to get them cheaper like a lot cheaper than the hotel itself and then the hotels all wised up and realized that they're just paying orbits extra money uh to do the booking when they could just do the booking themselves and then people are really just going to orbits because it's cheaper so that's why you see a lot of hotels on their own websites with the low price guarantee claiming that their site will always be the lowest price and if it's not they'll give you the difference that's the reason the low price guarantee exists at most hotel sites now is in order to avoid you going to something like Orbitz and them having to pay them a fee. By the way, if you do use Orbitz, if you use the code book now, all one word, book now in all caps, uh, you'll save 10%. At least I did. And I know this because like, I clicked off the page because I wasn't going to do it at first. <laughs> and then it actually says, hold on here. If you use the code book now, you can get 10% off. But it was for a different hotel. So it wasn't even like this uh, uh, this hotel special. It was for a different hotel. And then when this one popped up a little bit later, then I used the book now and it worked. And that doesn't sound like a custom code. It's not like it's not like uh, Orbitz T Wittellis uh, 1234. It was, you know, it's just book now. So 
at least for right now, book now on Orbitz gets you 10% off as a promo code. So that's one little tip if you still use them. But honestly, I think they're kind of antiquated. I don't think this is the right thing to use anymore to book hotels. I used to use Hotwire quite a bit, and that's the one where it just says a four-star hotel, and then you can bid on it. And it works good for areas like that where you know that if you know it'll be one of two hotels. Mm-hmm. Like you could do it for like Century City, and you know it'll either be the Century Plaza or the Intercontinental if you put in like four stars. Yeah, yeah, that that is that is one. So yeah, yeah. So that one used to give you good deals, but I haven't used it for a while. Right. So that's that's a, like I, I mentioned before. Uh, Priceline has something like that now called the Express Deals. And uh, I mentioned you can use them for commerce this way. If you want to stay at the Commerce Casino Hotel, you can use it this way and just search for anything with the list and amenity casino in commerce, and you know it's that one. So they say, well, you don't know what hotel this is, but you know th- this is what they're offering at. And you go, oh, yes, I do, because you're the only one with a casino in commerce. But I thought I was so clever doing that during the LAPC, and then I realized something. The Priceline has their own fee added in, too. And by the time you get that fee... Like, it, it pretty much ruined your discount in most cases. So I said, screw that. I ended up not doing it. I ended up just booking directly with uh, Crown Plaza when I stayed there in February. But, uh, yeah, it's usually better these days to just book directly with a hotel and just uh, and not book the non-refundable rate unless it's, like, the same day. Because sometimes it's like, oh, do advanced purchase and you get this percentage off. That usually sucks because then if the rate goes down, you can't re-rate it. And if for some reason you can't make it, you're screwed and you lose the money. So there's, there's, there's. Uh, I'm not going to go into a whole segment about hotels and how to get them cheaper, but uh, I don't use sites like Orbitz normally. This was an exception. Anyway, uh, let, let's go on here. Not much more to say about that. I uh, thought you guys might be amused by my whole uh, Indian casino thing, and you, you let me know here in text. Seven seven five three seven two eight three five five. Whether you're listening live or in the archives, let me know if you have had an incident in an Indian casino and what you did. And be honest about it. Don't uh, don't be uh, don't try to act like a tough guy. Like, oh, you know, they, they told me I have to sign a paper and give a fingerprint. And I told them, fuck you, do what you want. And they let me walk out because I stood up to them. Like, unless that really happened, just tell me the truth. Like, the, and I'm not looking for a bragging session here. Just be honest. If you've had an incident there and what you did, because I really am curious to know. I I, I do wonder. I wasn't going to experiment at the time, but I do wonder, like, how much could I have re- have refused, and would they have still let me walk out and cash out the two seventy five? I've also thought about. Let's say God Himself came down and said, "Todd, if you refuse all this, if you refuse to sign, you refuse to take off your hat for the picture, you refuse to let them see your ID." You refuse everything, refuse the fingerprint. They won't do anything to you. They're just going to walk you out. But they won't let you cash out your 275. So that's what's going to happen if you try that. Let's say God himself came down and told me that as this was going on. Okay? Uh, Would I do it? Would I refuse all this knowing I'm losing 275? And I thought about it, and believe it or not, the answer is no. I, believe it or not, I don't think I gave them that much to where it would be worth letting them keep 275 of my money. Especially because 100 really was my money, and 175 is what I got from the free play. But still, it was 275 that could be coming to me. Like, I'd rather be able to cash that out and sign their bullshit paper and give a fingerprint and take off a hat for a picture. I'd rather do that 
than uh, lose the 275. The only exception to that is if I knew they're going to be sharing a lot of the stuff with other casinos and and that they wouldn't be sharing if I if I didn't cooperate, then it wouldn't be worth it. But as I said, they could share anyway. They don't they don't need my help to share my name or my picture. By the way, the, the guy who was with me there, who I said left to go uh, have sex with a girl in the, the other casino, um, he said, uh, don't forget to add that the girl was pretty hot. <laughs> he texted me that. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll, I will give him credit here. The girl actually was. Now, she wasn't young. She was the same age as me. But uh, for this age, she looked very good. And uh, so, like, I, I approved. Uh, now, guys who don't like taller girls wouldn't have liked her because she was like five foot ten or five eleven. Uh, that wouldn't have been a problem for me. And this guy himself is about the same height as me, so no issue there. But uh, yeah, yeah, she she looked good. So now I understand why he wanted to leave. I'll say that. So let's move on to talk about Daniel Negreanu, who I don't know if he's ever been in an Indian casino. No, he's been in Indian casinos before for poker, but uh, I don't know. If, I don't think he's ever had an incident like this before. I don't think Negreanu is an advantage player. But I want to talk about Negreanu and uh, a recent controversy, again, that he's started. He starts a lot of controversies. He really does. A lot of these are kind of needless in a way, I have admired Negranu for speaking his mind and not being afraid to give his opinion just because he's a famous poker player. He just, if he feels something, he just says it. And if I were as well known as he is, I'd probably do the same thing. But at the same time, you have to, when you're in a position like his, you've got to kind of reread a lot of the stuff you're going to write on social media and go, do I really want to put this out there? Is this something I really want to say? Is this going to make me look bad? Is it going to make me look stupid or weird or, or bitter? Like, You've got to sometimes look at that if you're a pretty well-known or famous person because people will jump on you if you write things that are dumb or that make you look bad in any other way. So here's what happened. Uh, I mentioned that the Global Poker Awards, which it's put on by the people behind the Global Poker Index. I've mentioned basically every year that they snub Poker Fraud Alert Radio for best podcast. And by snubbing, I mean we're not even one of the finalists. Apparently we are one of the considered podcasts. So they they acknowledge we exist in that way. It's not publicly stated, but they do go through a list of a bunch of podcasts and then pick out like four as the finalists, and we're never one of the four. But at least we are in the list that they bring down to four. Anyway, I make fun of it every year. We, I kind of make a joke out of the whole thing. I get snubbed all the time. and In reality, I don't really care that much. Uh, I've never been a big awards person. I don't think the award really means very much. It's very arbitrary. This is not a mainstream show. This is a show that's a little bit different, as you might have noticed. So I'm I'm not uh, looking to collect awards here, and I don't really care that much. If, if someone gave the show an award, I'd accept it. I'd 
think it was nice, but uh, it's not something like I go, oh, man, I didn't get the Global Poker Award. Like, it's not like that. It doesn't really bother me. I, I make more of a joke of it than anything else. I mentioned on a recent show that something I noticed was absent, though, which did surprise me a little bit from the best podcasts, the four, the, the four finalists, also missing, besides Poker Fraud Alert, was the DAT Poker Podcast that is done by Negranu, Adam Schwartz, and Terrence Chan. And the reason that surprised me a little bit is because uh, the 2 Plus 2 Poker Cast has been on there many years as a finalist. And two, or basically both of their hosts, Terrence Chan and Adam Schwartz, are now doing the DAT Poker Podcast along with Negranu. And you'd think with Negranu's presence that it would just get bigger. Now, it may not have had as big of an audience because 2 Plus 2 had such a big reach and the Dat Poker podcast is starting on its own. But it does have Negranu to promote it, who has a very big reach himself. And I would think if you add Negranu to basically the 2 Plus 2 Poker cast now with a different name, with Terrence and Adam, you would think this would be something that would become the finalist because it's... Uh, makes it pretty high profile to have Negranu plus those existing two hosts who are already nominated every year. So I was pretty surprised that that one was left off. And when I pictured the reactions of those three hosts when they found they were snubbed, I figured that Terrence and Adam probably weren't going to care that much. I think maybe they perhaps were surprised too. I haven't talked to Adam about it, but... uh, I know he listens to this show. Maybe he can tell me if he was surprised. But my, my, I was picturing that the two of them, Terrence and Adam, were kind of like, oh, kind of surprised we're not on there, but whatever. And then I pictured Negrani was going to be like very bitter about it. Like I just, I, that's just what I pictured from their, the three personalities that I know of those guys. That Negrani was going to be the one who'd be kind of bitter and angry about it. Well, it looks like I was probably right <laughs> because uh, not only was Negrani left not only was his podcast left off of the finalists for best poker podcast but the eventual winners or shall i say winner which is two people uh who did a podcast the, the eventual winner was a podcast run by two guys who recently wrote two very critical blogs about negranu himself yeah Two guys that Negranu had previously referred to as trolls. They were the winners. So I think the only worse person to have won, though he doesn't have a podcast, but the only worse person to have won would have been Doug Polk. That would have been the only way it could have pissed off Negranu more as far as the winner of Best Poker Podcast. So he's not even nominated. And then these two guys he thinks are trolls were the winners. Now, who are these two guys? I'm talking about David Lappin and Dara O'Kearney. They were the winners. And they had written a... They'd each written uh, critical blog posts about Daniel Negreanu's tweet about the poker player types that he doesn't like and how he feels that these types of poker players are a cancer to the community. And I... I didn't agree with what Negreanu had written either. And I covered that on this show a few months ago. Because basically Negreanu was attacking the professional grinder. Basically anybody who, who's a winning player, who sits down, who doesn't 
try to entertain the table and just kind of quietly goes about his business and wins, uh, Negreanu was saying that type of person's a cancer to the poker industry, which I didn't agree with. I thought that was a very incorrect thing to say. I thought it was Negreanu basically saying, hey, you know, if you're not like me, Daniel Negreanu, then uh, you're a cancer to the poker community. So he's, he's like, if you're going to be a winning player, you've got to be a winner like I am. You've got to act like I do at the table. And if you don't, then I think you're cancer. So I, I thought that was bad. I thought that was a stupid thing he wrote. I didn't think it was a huge deal. It didn't outrage me. I'm not a Negreanu hater. I think better of him than a lot of those who dislike him think. Like, there's a lot of people out there who are really bashing Negreanu these days. Not just Doug Polk, but Doug Polk kind of made it more fashionable to bash Negreanu. There's some people who really go after Negreanu and act like he's Satan. I don't think that. I don't think Negreanu's a bad guy. I don't dislike him. I don't hate him. I think he's said some things he shouldn't have. I think he's made some mistakes. But there's much worse out there, and he's really not a bad person. He's just kind of misguided sometimes. And sometimes says and writes some dumb things. I'm very neutral on him, to be honest, at this point. I used to think positively of him. Now I'm kind of like neutral. So I'm I'm not doing this segment out of hate or dislike for Negreanu. I'm not jumping on the Doug Polk, let's bash, let's bash Negreanu bandwagon, nothing like that. Anyway, uh, Daniel was quite bitter at David and Dara for these blogs. And he'd called them trolls before. He really didn't like them. Uh, so he was really mad when they ended up winning that GPI award for the best podcast. I should have queued this up. I, sh- I should have had it ready, but I don't. But on uh, on the broadcast, as this uh, <laughs> as this was uh, announced, he was very disgusted and said, "Ew." <laughs> so he was very unhappy about it. Uh, shortly after that, he went on Twitter and made the following comments. He said, The nomination process was not GTO, referring to Game Theory Optimal. The jury selections, I just have to wonder and wish they could have been, I wish I could have been a fly on the wall to see how they came up with some of the winners. Random number generator or maximum troll job? April Fools? So he's, he's trying to refer to uh, David and Dara winning that Best Poker podcast. Again, he says, the jury selections, I just have to wonder and wish I could have been a fly on the wall to see how they came up with some of the winners. And said it might be an April Fool's joke. So that was definitely him expressing his anger about this without directly saying it, at least not yet. However, later on, he clarified it on that poker podcast, and I I wish I had this up, but again, I don't apologize for that. But he went on his own Dat Poker podcast and said that Dara and David are just trolls and that he had an inside source at the Global Poker Index that their win 
was rigged in some way and not legitimate. Oh, boy. Could that be true? Is it possible that they really had the award rigged for them in some way? He claimed he had an inside source at Global Poker Index who told him this. This is what Daniel said on his Dat Poker podcast. Well, Dara and David were a little taken aback by this, and they said, hey, look, if this was rigged, we don't want it. Actually, take back the award if it was really rigged. And they tweeted out on their Chip Race Poker podcast, which is what they're... It's, it's, it's at the Chip Race on Twitter. That's their official show Twitter. They wrote, does Poker Stars want to take our GPI award back from us? Yeah, Poker Stars is now involved with this. Apparently your ambassador has inside information that he won't share, which suggests something untoward went down in the jury room. We don't want this award if what he says is true. So they're claiming, hey, if this was really rigged in our favor, we know nothing about it. And take it away. We don't want it then. Then uh, David Lappin tweeted that uh, he tweeted this. Honestly, the ew thing, referring to what Negreanu said about him winning, just sounded like a silly childish response, maybe after a few too many. But now he's suggesting impropriety on the part of uh, Eric Danis, and I'll tell you who that is in a second, and his jury to, to well and tru- truly ruin this nice moment for us. They say this is basically ruining their award if he's claiming to have inside information that they it was rigged for them, that the award become, kind of becomes meaningless at that point. Eric Danis, by the way, was the head of the jurors who made these selections, and he said there was nothing that was rigged. He said this was uh, not true. And then some fighting went on back and forth involving this matter. And the Negranu haters came out in force and started attacking him. And he started fighting back. And uh, here we are. So let's take a look at this. Is it possible that Negranu is right? Is it possible that this really was rigged? Maybe by some people who don't like Negranu and did this as a fuck you to him? Or is it possible maybe... Dara and David have friends on this GPI jury that rigged the award for them. Look, what do we look at here? We should look at who were the people deciding upon the winners of this award. The jurors for the GPI awards are as follows. Eric Danis, Frank Opteward, William Schilliber, Maria Ho, Yes, that Maria Ho. Jamie Kerstetter, Benjamin Irwin, Brad Owen, and David Tuckman. I had not heard of Eric Danis, William, William Schilliber, Benjamin Irwin, or Brad Owen before. Have you heard of them, Trader Risky? I have not. Yeah, I hadn't either. But uh, the other ones I did hear of, I, I've heard of, uh, obviously, Maria Ho and Jamie Kerstetter, uh, David Tuckman, I've 
heard of him uh, even through Calwatt. Calwatt uh, is good friends with him. And in fact, David Tuckman also was the announcer on the final table I made in 2013 of the 5K Limit Hold'em. And I've heard uh, good things about him, David Tuckman. And then uh, Frank Optive Word is actually a poker fraud alert lurker. He writes for Poker News, and he's actually included Poker Fraud Alert as a source in some articles he's written on Poker News. I don't think he listens to the show. He might, for all I know, but I know he, he at least lurks on the site. So all four of these people, Jamie Kerstetter, Maria Ho, Frank Opterward, and David Tuckman, all have very good reputations in the poker world for their integrity. And... Uh, all four of them also have done a pretty good job avoiding drama, if you think about it. Uh, how often do you see any of those four people involved in, in poker drama where there's or fighting back and forth on social media? You really don't. Negreanu, yeah, plenty. <laughs> but uh, the, these four, no, and I, I don't know the other four, but I haven't seen them involved in that either. So I'm thinking, well, this is kind of weird. Like, uh, this is kind of, at least those four I knew, they seem like unlikely ones to rig this award for two guys in Europe who do a, uh, I think they're English, who do a poker podcast to screw Negreanu in some way. It just didn't seem likely to me. So... I had a hard time believing that this was really rigged. I don't know if someone really told Negreanu this, if he just made this up because he was angry. I don't know what. You know, maybe someone really told him this, that they thought it was rigged, who was involved in the GPI. Maybe that person was wrong. I don't know what to say. I mean, I, I can't say for sure it wasn't rigged. But if I had to guess, I would think it's, it's not. Maria Ho was coaxed into making a statement by Seriously Serious Seriously Serious was really trying to be an instigator here. Uh, as you might know, he doesn't like Negreanu at all because of uh, Seriously Serious is very much on team Doug Polk. So he does not like Negreanu. Negreanu does not like him. Those are two who will never be friends for sure. So Seriously Serious was trying to get people to comment here, and he was successful. Maria responded by saying the following. I can say with full confidence that there was no such thing as corruption behind those doors. I'm not sure what Daniel was alluding to, but I don't think he intended to characterize what he heard that way. I value integrity to the utmost, and I can assure you that I would never take part in a process that was untoward in any way. I took the responsibility of being a juror very seriously, and I strongly felt that given some of the controversies surrounding some of the nominees in certain categories, it was extremely important for us to get this right as we possibly could have given the nominees we, we had to choose from. I did my due diligence when it came to researching the nominees and gave thoughtful consideration to every category to the best of my ability. I strongly believe everyone on the jury also acted with the highest integrity. Pardon me if I'm revealing something. I, uh, uh, sorry, go on. Sorry to drop. Were they all in the, so they saying they were all in the same room? That's what it sounds like. Or did they all just turn in their votes? I don't know. No, because, it, sounds, it sounds like there was a discussion. I don't know if it was in the same room, but there was some discussion back and forth. And uh, especially if you hear this last tweet, she says, pardon me if I'm revealing something I shouldn't, but behind those doors, there were actually numerous times where in open debate, someone started with a sentence, personal feelings about this person or entity aside, I believe they're the most deserving of the award in this category. So I think I believe right, because I think there's two ways to do it. They could all be on a conference call or in the same room where everybody could just turn in their votes 
and then really the only people that know what the, who voted for what would be the people that are making the final decision. Yeah, it sounds like to me very much like there was some kind of live discussion, whether it was physically in the same room, or I think it was because you said those doors. So it probably was physically in the same room, but if it wasn't, it probably was a conference call. But something where they were live discussing back and forth who should be the winner. And yeah, getting getting them all in the same room is probably a long shot. So I'm sure maybe a couple. I'm sure it was probably a conference call or video call or a few in the same room and some people calling in. Yeah. So uh, whatever it is, she's insisting that not only was there no rigging, but there were times when people actually said, "Hey, look, I don't like this person," or "Hey, I don't like this uh, particular entity," but I think they should get the award anyway. I don't want to go against them just because you know i have personal feelings against it so she's insisting that she kept hearing that being said by people that they went out of their way not to let personal feelings get involved with who they gave the awards to so i i think i mostly believe that but i'll tell you there's one area where i think negranu might have a small point here uh shortly before the awards went off Remember, there was some controversy, not about Negranu at all, but actually from uh, just observers in the poker community who thought the GPI was completely out of touch, that they some of the nominees were insane. For example, not the nominees themselves, but the, the choice of these nominees, whoever made these choices, uh, didn't know what they were doing. Uh, for example, uh, Doug Polk was nominated for Best Vlogger for 2018 when he did not put out a single vlog in 2018. And and then there were some very popular and uh, well liked vloggers that uh, that did not get nominated. And then uh, Jason Somerville for Streamer of the Year when when he had barely streamed in 2018, things like that, where it seemed like people those that had been choosing the nominees. I'm talking about the the finalists, not just the list of ones they consider the finalists that. This was just done on kind of basic knowledge, but without any kind of research. And as a result, some of these things were embarrassingly wrong. So with that being said here, if there is... I don't know if these same people were involved. I don't think they were, because I know Brad Owen, who was one of the jurors. He was one of the people who was actually angry that he was not selected to be Vlogger of the Year. So maybe they brought him in as, as a concession that uh yeah, because of that i don't know but, but uh, clearly he wouldn't have been voting on himself so then he would nor would he like publicly criticize them so i have a feeling that they probably chose these people after this so i think whoever so but my point is that the gpi did do some stupid things regarding these awards before this whole thing so to say oh they they did such a horrible process in the in the nominees process but but then p- picking a winner they did a great job i can i can see how one would say that wouldn't make any sense but if it was a different group of people then maybe it would make sense so if if really these are just eight people who had nothing to do with the nominees process then it would make sense that these eight people could have done a much better job than those picking the nominees who clearly didn't do a very good job so uh that's that's the only thing I can say here is that it's not like the, the Global Poker Awards are beyond reproach. There is already controversy about them prior to this. But you know, do I do I think it's rigged? No. I, 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 if, I, if I had to guess, I would say there's pretty long odds against this really being rigged for David and Dara to win it. And Negrana doesn't even explain, at least I hadn't seen, why... 
uh, Negreanu hasn't really explained why this would have been rigged for them. Like, he didn't say it was friends of Darren Davids. He didn't say it's people who hated him, who did it to troll him. He just said it was rigged. Why? Why, why was it rigged? Why, what did he hear? What did he hear had occurred? Why were they given the award as opposed to others? Like, he, he didn't really explain that. So that, that's also kind of missing from this story, and it makes it less credible. And you, you may say, well, why does that matter? Well, look, if you're going to hear something's rigged, you've got to hear why it's being rigged that way. Okay, you, you, let's say you want to believe it was rigged for Dara and David. Okay, why? Why? Why them? Who did it? Who did it and why? There's, there's always got to be a reason for something to be rigged. You don't just rig things for randoms, then it's not rigged. You know? So, I, I don't get it. The whole thing seems kind of strange, but the truth is, unless Negranu really had concrete information on this that was very reliable, which clearly he didn't, he shouldn't have said it. Even if he privately thought it, he shouldn't have said it. It just makes him look bitter. It's like sour grapes. Not only, especially because he has a poker podcast. If he didn't have a poker podcast, it wouldn't be quite as bad. But he actually has a poker podcast. It wasn't nominated, and then he's bitter about who won, calling them trolls. But really, when someone wins an award like this, and you don't like them, you should basically just be quiet unless they're really not deserving of it. Like, let's say Doug Polk won Best Vlogger of the Year. And Negreanu, who hates him, said, hey, uh, Polk hasn't put out a single vlog in 2018. And he won vlogger of the year for 2018. That, that would be valid. It, it wouldn't matter that Negreanu doesn't like Polk. If he said that, he would be right. Now, to Polk's credit, he himself said he should not have been nominated in that category. Nor did he win. But, like, I, I don't think... I don't know if... Uh, I've never heard this Chip Race podcast, but... I don't know whether it deserved to win Podcast of the Year, but I haven't heard it's terrible. I haven't heard it's an outrage that it won. And, and the truth is, as far as these poker podcasts go, it's, it's really about what you're looking for. And there, there's people who listen to this show that hate all the other poker podcasts and think they suck. and They, they happen to like the format of this show. They like the long format. They like the... Uh, kind of the brash, uh, free speech sort of attitude of this show and then the, the wacky characters we have sometimes. Like, There's people who like that, and the other poker podcasts don't do that. But then there's those who don't like that at all. And they don't like this show. So it really depends upon what you're looking for. And I have this sometimes even with our own audience here where I'm told, you know, don't do this type of segment again, it sucks. Then I think, okay, maybe I won't again. Then someone says, why do you do away with that segment? That was my favorite thing. Like, <laughs> like the prank calls even. I have people who say, more prank calls, why don't you do them much anymore? We miss them, those are the best part of the show. And then I have others saying the prank callers are stupid and immature, and, and you know, I'm so glad you don't do them anymore. So I, I don't know what to say. We have people all over the place with things. Uh, if, if there's something that's overwhelmingly disliked, I don't do it again. I, I've never been a believer that I should just I should do a segment on this show just because I enjoy it and screw the audience. Like That's never been me. I'm doing this show for the audience. And if the audience mostly doesn't like something, I'm not going to do it. But there's a lot of times that I'll get things that are very mixed as far as the response. That's why I told Eric Benzamokin, I told him that I got very positive 
reactions from everybody about him on the show. So I said, that's, that's an accomplishment because we don't get totally positive reactions to anything on here or anyone. So let's, uh, let's move on here. Uh, Trader Risk, what are your feelings? Do you think there's any chance this was rigged? I don't think – I doubt rigged. I mean, they probably didn't do their due diligence as much as they maybe should have. But who, you know, but who gives a shit? Yeah. And for the vloggers, is it quality or quantity? I don't even know. I I don't know. It is. I don't know. I I don't even watch those. And then uh, the one I tried briefly to watch, uh, Jeff Boski, he got uh, pissed off and blocked me when I was critical about one thing. So at least that guy has a thin skin. Uh, I am Greek is saying in chat, uh, had to be Maria Ho as a source. Eric Danis used to be on Quad Jacks. I don't remember that. I'm curious why he thinks Maria Ho was the source. I know some people think that the two of them were friends, but Maria came out and wrote that long thing, like defending them defending the the process and everything it kind of made like Negreanu look bad and like if they were that close would she have really done that even if she was kind of irritated with him so I don't know I don't know I, I do think Negreanu definitely should not have said that I think it made him look like a fool made him look bitter made it look like sour grapes especially again especially because it was uh, a podcast and he has a podcast and he wasn't nominated. He he didn't mention, hey, I wasn't nominated. He didn't say that as far as I know. But but still, you know, he has one. He wasn't nominated. And then someone, you know, two people he doesn't like win. And then he says, oh, it was rigged. It just looks like sour grapes. You don't say that. Even if you think it, you don't say that. It just, it's a bad look. And he should know that by now. Sometimes I really wonder with him what, uh, I mean, you, when you're under a constant spotlight like he is, when you say something stupid, it tends to get magnified, and I understand that. Like, okay, take like a total unknown in poker. If that person says something stupid, no one's going to remember it. It just gets immediately ignored. Take someone like me. If I say something stupid on Twitter, there will be some attention to it, but it's not going to be a major story. If Negreanu says something stupid, then everybody jumps on it. So there is that fact that he's got the visibility, and then that magnifies his mistakes. I understand that, but... Uh, for that reason, you've got to be careful. You've got you don't write things like that. Okay, I shall move on here to a poker stars topic. That three pros have been fired. Not Negreanu; he's still there, but three pros have been let go at poker stars. The first one is Randy Liu, L-E-W, a.k.a. Nanonoko. He's been on for a long time. I remember I've played him before on Poker Stars. I He mainly played No Limit and tournaments, so I, I didn't uh, play him that much, but he occasionally played Limit Hold'em. This guy was on Poker Stars all day and all night. Uh, he was known for playing as many as 24 tables at once. This would be impossible at Limit Hold'em, by the way, but at uh, No Limit you can do it. Still still quite hard to do 24 tables, but at No Limit you can do it because uh, those hands don't move as quickly. 
interestingly enough, Randy Liu said that he actually hid from the spotlight, even as he became kind of famous on Poker Stars. People go, who is this Nanonoko? He's constantly on. He seems to do very well. Who is this guy? That uh, here's the reason he didn't want notoriety. He said, coming from a traditional Chinese background, I would say that poker as a profession is clearly taboo, especially for a kid who just graduated from university. Long story short, my parents never knew I played poker for about 10 years. So this guy actually hid it from his parents that he was playing poker and making all this money for, for about a decade. And he decided that if he could make three or four times what he would make at a normal job, and I don't mean just a regular average job, I mean whatever job he would have otherwise qualified for with his education, that at that point then he would really make poker his profession permanently. And when asked why, he said, uh, because I wasn't proud of playing poker, I felt I needed to be extraordinary to be able to tell my parents and feel proud. And finally, after he was doing very well for a long time, he took the big step to become a Poker star sponsored pro. And the reason that was a big step is because at that point it becomes public that uh, what he's doing and knew he had to tell his parents and all that. So in December 2009, Randy Liu told his parents that uh, he was a poker pro and that uh, he... Uh, Yeah, he he became the Poker Stars Pro and had been one for now close to ten years. But at the same time um, he was also new to the whole concept of poker friends, because prior to that, since he was trying to stay anonymous and really didn't want the word getting out of you know who Nanonoka really was, uh, he didn't want to make any poker friends, so he just really was a loner. And then once he became the sponsor, once he got to be a sponsored player, then he started to make some friends from there, and became kind of more of a, a normal poker player. They actually released a video about him called "I Am Nanonoko" on PokerStars YouTube. He claims he played over 13 million hands. He said, I truly felt unstoppable. I felt stable. I eventually told my parents after I bought a house in California and I felt relieved. And he remained a Poker Stars pro all the way up until just recently. And he is no longer a Poker Stars sponsored pro. He did not bash Poker Stars on the way out. He said, Poker Stars has done many great things growing the poker space. I thank them for my time there as I stepped into the limelight for the very first time. Now it's time to grow up and take that leap of faith again. Now it's time to feel free. I'm ready to step into the unknown and do what I w- want to do. I will play poker when I want to play poker. I will be Nananoko. He did try streaming on Twitch at one point, but he claimed that uh, it wasn't really for him. He didn't really enjoy it, and he quit pretty pretty quickly. He also started playing a lot less after that whole Supernova Elite debacle, where they abruptly downgraded the benefits of it. 
including for those that had earned it on the two-year program. They did it right in the middle where people got uh, screwed. And he did say that uh, as far as that concerned, though, he said he just sort of followed the line. He was, as I, was, I was content. I wasn't focused on purely playing as, as much simply because I didn't really need to. Now, that's all well and good. That's fine. But I don't believe... Every time one of these poker pros gets fired from poker stars because poker stars doesn't need them anymore. It's not that they did anything wrong. It's just that they're... The market that they're appealing to, poker stars doesn't really see very profitable anymore. They, like, they don't think that these pros like Nananoka are bringing in many people. Especially, he doesn't really stream on Twitch. He quit that. So just because he was a good player many, many years ago who played insane volume, like, who's he really, really bringing in as new customers? That's a good point. Okay, so they, they they don't want to pay him a lot anymore. So they've been doing this every single year. They keep trimming the fat every time these contracts are over. I think it is always around this time of year, always kind of around early part of the year. And they keep letting go long-time PokerStars pros because they're not the ones who originally made the agreements with these pros. They've renewed the agreements, but they, these are people who came in before the Amaya days. And Amaya says, hey, we think this is wasteful. We don't need these people. They didn't want to fire them all at once, but every year they're releasing a few more. And one of them this year was Nananoko. Now, I don't think they outright fire them. I think what they probably do is they go to them and say, look, uh, we can't keep paying you what we were before. So we're massively downgrading what we're paying you per year. If you want to stay on, you can. If you don't, no hard feelings. Goodbye. So they must have come to Nananoko, given him a crap offer, and he said thanks but no thanks, and he left. And These players, when they leave, uh, they, they all handle it differently. And first of all, none of them want to admit that they're just leaving for money. So it's funny, like you never hear that from one of them, like that they were given an insulting offer not to stay. It's always like, oh, I want to go do other things. I want to spend time with my family. It's, it's always it's always some variation of that story. Like, okay, I'm moving past being a poker pro. It's always that. It's, it's so funny, like they go from a poker star sponsored pro to not being a poker pro anymore. Well, what, what happened to just being a poker pro and not being sponsored by poker stars? You can't do that? Why, why do you have to have poker? I mean, sure, sure it's, it's great. It's great to have PokerStar sponsoring you. But why do you need them to make you a PokerStar sponsored pro to keep being a poker pro? So the truth is that these people make up this story because they have to explain it in some way. And they don't want to say PokerStars let me go because they didn't think I was uh, valuable anymore. They didn't want to say PokerStars are being cheapskates that makes themselves, you know, makes them look greedy. I don't think they would be. I'm just saying that it's not a good look. So when they exit, often it's some story about, oh, I, I need to concentrate on other things. It's time to move on. And some of them are positive about poker stars like Nananoko was. Other ones like Vanessa Selps leave there and kind of make some jabs on the way out. But no one just comes forth and says the truth that poker stars just isn't focusing on the American market anymore. And to some degree, they're just not focusing on any market 
for pros anymore and that they're changing their business strategy, that they have greatly downgraded what they're offering and that they don't want to accept it. They don't want to accept this much lesser form of compensation. And there's no shame in saying that. Like, For those of you that work a regular job that listen to this show, say you came in and your boss said, you know what, I'm going to cut your salary by 90%. I'm going to pay you 10% of what I used to pay you. Uh, would you like to still work here? If you said no, you wouldn't be greedy. You'd be correct. You, you wouldn't be compensated right. And it wouldn't be worth coming to your job anymore to be making 10% of what you were before. I'm not saying they were offered 10%. I'm just making up that number. But it was some kind of massive downgrade in what they're being paid. So I don't think, with only a few exceptions where I think Poker Stars just doesn't want association with certain people who may have done some bad deeds, but that's not very common. In most cases, they're just probably offering to renew for peanuts and the people refuse and then they're left in this awkward position of what to say. So that's the end of Nananoko. I don't believe he's really leaving poker. I just think uh, he has no reason to earn Supernova Elite anymore because it's not as good as it used to be by a large margin. And they're not paying him much to be a PokerStars Pro anymore, so that's that. And no, I don't think he's moving on to the next phase of his life. He's not even saying what it's going to be. He says, I'm ready to step in the unknown and do what I want to do. What, what does that mean? Okay, so he wasn't the only one to be fired. Uh, or should I, say, I, I, I should say more like non-renewed, or they didn't renew. Fired is it's more dramatic, but it's not really accurate here. Barry Greenstein, longtime poker pro on Poker Stars, is no longer with the company. Greenstein, it surprised me how long he remained on the roster. He's an American. Poker Stars does not offer their services to Americans, except for New Jersey, which is a separate site. So, who is Barry Greenstein really bringing in at this point? There's nothing really marketable about him anymore. He's old. He's not really relevant in poker. He's not winning a whole lot anymore. He apparently is close to broke. He's I see him playing like 2040 limit hold'em at uh, or 4080 limit hold'em at Commerce, and and not because of conservative bankroll management, but because that's all he can afford. This is someone who used to play four thousand, eight thousand. Like I'll play forty eighty, but like like I'm I'm usually playing the biggest or second biggest limit hold'em game that's that's in the casino. I never played four thousand, eight thousand mix. I I that's way too high for me. Okay, if I was playing four thousand, eight thousand mix. And if I'm down at 2040 and 4080, and I won't ever play higher than that, no matter what's going, then you know something's wrong, right? So, uh, I mean, it's, it, he also has sold his house, and there's a lot of indications that uh, he doesn't have very much money anymore. So he's just not that currently relevant in poker. He's someone that was known as a successful poker pro in the early 2000s. And there was a story about him giving away, quote, his winnings to charity, which I always felt was exaggerated. He probably 
gave some to charity, but he did, we wasn't giving all his winnings to charity. That just simply wasn't true. Nor nor do I think he ever even said that. I think that just kind of took on a life of its own in poker lore. Uh, there is the famous uh, $400,000 loan, or I should say the infamous $400,000 loan that he took from Full Tilt that uh, group Bernard Tappy tried to make public to shame him into paying when they were thinking of buying Full Tilt. So he had actually taken a $400,000 loan from a competitor. He was representing poker stars and took a $400,000 loan from a competitor, which is weird. And admitted he didn't pay it back when this was brought up. So who does Barry Greenstein really bring in anymore? I mean, yeah, people who remember him from back in the early 2000s, because, oh, Barry Greenstein, I remember him. Yeah, the guy who gave money to charity. Yeah, he was a good player. Yeah, he won some tournaments then. Like, okay, fine. And he's in the Poker Hall of Fame. So, like, he's, he's a well-known poker player. I'll give him that. But who's he bringing in at this point? Who, who's seeing he's a poker pro and going, oh, okay, well, I'm going to sign up for Poker Stars because Barry Greenstein's on the roster. Like, nobody. It had to be someone not in the U.S. who sees this and joins because they see he's part of the team. It's just not going to happen. He doesn't have rabid fans. And and the truth is, same with Nananoko. Nananoko was known as this like crazy multi-tabler and a successful player, but um, he, he's not bringing new people in either. He's kind of, again, kind of a name from the past that people remember if they were around back then, but not really relevant anymore as far as from a marketing perspective. Poker Stars has shifted their ambassador strategy to where they are now signing people who are more likely to bring in new customers, such as the poker streamers, the popular poker streamers, and rising stars in the game, people who are quickly becoming uh, well-known players that are hot right now and doing really well right now. The people they're talking about right now. And people who are famous outside of poker. That's who they want. They they don't want... Uh, and they also want people who are in markets that they're offering their services to, not people in the U.S. So that's what they're looking to do. They don't want established pros from 10, 15, 20 years ago. They'll probably always keep Moneymaker because he was part of the reason they're on the map. He was there. They were the ones that uh, bought him into the tournament he won that partially caused the poker boom. So he's always going to have a sentimental connection to them and they know it. So I don't think they're going to drop him. In fact, if they did, it would look pretty bad. But the rest of them are pretty expendable. They also dropped Jake Cody of the UK. So it shows you it's not just Americans being dropped. Jake Cody is in a place where poker stars can be played, and they dropped him too. Again, they just didn't feel like he was bringing value. They actually did sign a new person, uh, Caladou Sau, who's a French poker pro. He won the 5,300-euro Poker Stars Championship Prague main event in 2017, and then a month later, he won the 900-pound Poker Stars Festival London main event. Uh, I still don't know if he's even someone who's going to bring anyone in, but at least he's in the French market. Maybe they're trying to 
appeal to people in France. Because his uh, back-to-back wins, maybe that got some notice in France. But I see what they're doing. They're just really, really looking to only have poker pros who are going to bring in new players. Not just names people have known for many years. This is going to keep happening. I think with Greenstein, this is going to hurt. I don't know how much they were paying him, but at least Randy Liu, he probably has money saved away. I think that Greenstein really needed this money. And do you think they were taking some of the loan off of what they're supposed to pay him? That's a good question. Because I'm they, assuming they bought the loan. Yeah, know, they, they took they, over full tilt. They did take over full tilt, and I don't. That's a good question. If they were, wouldn't it be funny if they just kept? Yeah, I mean, him? they were probably doing something like fifty-fifty, maybe. And I might imagine they'd be doing something for him to last this long. That you know, I never thought of it that way, but you might be right. I did wonder why. Why was Barry Greenstein of all people one of them that lasted for years before they finally dropped him? And yeah, maybe maybe they were taking something off that 400k debt and now it's finally been paid back to them and now they can drop it. Maybe that's what it is. Yeah, and for the new ones, I think it's just really about um <clears throat> excuse me, you know, TV time. You know, the Chris Money Makers basically on every poster for the WSOP, so that's value. But if they're not playing like the old episodes of the stuff Barry Greenstone was on, I think his value just went out the door. Yeah, and he's not doing anything recent uh, of note, and then he's old, and the, 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 and he's American. Like pretty much every box that makes him not worth very much is checked with him. So I see why they're not going to pay him anymore. I see why they just say, what, "What's he bringing?" And if I were running Poker Stars, I would have done this a long time ago. I used to look at their roster of pros and go, "Why are they, why are so many people here?" I thought about full tilt. Yeah, but it is probably good to have people in that age group. But he's just too overpriced for what they'd get. There's a million other people they could get. Yeah, I I think so. But I don't know about the age group thing because with with online poker, it's the the older people. They the older someone is, the less likely they are to play online poker. It's it's always been the younger people's domain, and uh, I. I don't know if they even have to worry about appealing to older people. I still I always talk about when I first met the online poker players I used to play with. Like I'd meet them in person back when I was in my early 30s, and I was the old guy. And I go, "What the hell? These are all kids!" And then I'd go play in a live card room, and I was actually younger than average. So at the live card room, there were more people older than me than younger than me. But online, I was the old guy back then. I'm not talking about today. Right, but tech has come a long way where it's probably easier. You know, it's just easier for people to get online to play. You know, so back then, you know, a lot of them probably didn't know how to use computers and stuff like that. I just think now that age group is definitely, especially as people retire, you know, it's probably just a big open market and customers, I'm sure they see. I'm sure they have like a, a strategy to gauge that segment. It, it is actually funny, though, despite me saying that, this I'm, I'm actually kind of contradicting what I told Phil Galfond when I had offered to work for Run It Once, and I said that they need someone like me there to appeal to the older people, because everybody else involved is too young. And uh, 
Now I'm saying, hey, who cares about the older people? Right, but you're just like right in the middle. You're like, you know, the six seven, six eight basketball player. You know, it's like not old enough for the old, not young enough for the young. But I actually, the thing is, though, I, I'm still like a lot more appealing to the old than the like thirty year olds. Like, I, the thing is, like yeah. the, the the older people that like someone who's in their sixties not going to go. Oh, this guy's only forty seven. Like, I can't trust him. Like, I can see them looking like thirty year olds in charge going. Yeah, do I really want to trust this company when it's all like thirty year olds? Like these, they're younger than my son. Like they, I could see like they. It's sometimes hard for them to take it seriously, where if they think that there's an older person involved, it makes them feel better. Like they doesn't have to be their age as someone who's kind of uh, further along in life that just doesn't seem like a kid to them. So I, th- I th- like I picture myself if I were seventy and I heard, uh, well, forget that now. I, like when I go to a doctor, the age I'm looking for now for the most part of doctors I go to is right around my age. Right around, like anywhere between like uh, uh, 42 to 52 is kind of the sweet spot I'm looking for with doctors. I don't want them really old and I, I, I don't want them too young and inexperienced. So 40s to early 50s is, is what I think is best when I see how old the doctor is. And I have had that before where I'll see the doctor's like 70, I don't want to go there. Or I'll see the doctor is, uh, you know, is 30. I think, you know, I kind of don't want to go to him either. Then I look and I see he's, you know, 45. I go, okay, perfect. That's not the only thing I use to choose a doctor, but that's that's something. And I think I feel this. And, I, like, my parents feel the same way. They've talked to me before, too. They're, like, you know, they're talking about doctors they're looking for. They go, oh, and I noticed, you know, he's, he's 47, and I like that. I go, okay, so, yeah, so that's, uh, that's what they're looking for. All right, uh, let's uh, let's see what else we got here. America's card room we talked about on the last show, and that Latvian bot ring that was exposed because of a bot named Fox Rocks that malfunctioned heads up at the end of a tournament. I still don't quite understand how this happened, but uh, something bad with the programming there. And Fox Rocks just flipped out and started folding every single hand and had kind of weird timing, too. But it was folding every single hand at the end, including a totally nonsensical one where it was almost all in on the big blind. And it still folded. Right. So it wasn't sitting out. He was clicking. I mean, it was making an action, right? It was making an action, yes. So, so yeah, I mean, you'd think, too, like those people that have those bot farms, when it gets down to the final table, I don't know, when they get a text or something, take over or yeah, maybe. at least watch. Well, I don't, yeah, right. They wouldn't want to take over, but, yeah, definitely watch. <laughs> like the bot probably plays better than they do, but they, they should at least right, watch. But it might not be bad, though, just for, you know, if it's, you know, if they're looking at it. Right, and it's possible maybe they were sleeping, who knows, but they, Fox Rocks... No, but then they'd be sitting out, right? Oh, right, if the person was sleeping. The person, right. the person was sleeping, the bot wasn't, yeah. So so anyway, Fox Rocks did that really weird play, and then it turned out that one had been suspected before of collusion, so it had been complained about to America's Card Room, who ignored it. We talked about on the show last year that Chicago Joey Ingram had a big campaign against America's Card Room, stating that... Uh, there were tons of bots on there and a lot of collusion on there and that America's card room was looking the other way and doing nothing about it. And this would seem to validate that, that this account has been complained about before and nothing has been done. 
and it took something like this that happened to be caught on a streamer's uh, recording, which people could go back and watch and see this outrageous play that finally got their attention. So America's card room decided they could not ignore this any longer, especially because the other bot that was accused of being involved with colluding with this Fox Rock in the past was from the same city in Latvia. So it wasn't just even uh, suspicion of collusion. It was actually suspicion of collusion with someone in the same relatively small city. There's a city in Latvia that's called Ogre Latvia. I'm not even kidding. The the name of the city is really Ogre, O-G-R-E. Maybe it's Ogre, but it's spelled Ogre, O-G-R-E, Latvia. And Fox Rocks is from there, as was another account that was accused of colluding in the past with Fox Rocks and was also thought to be a bot. So they finally did something about this because there wasn't uh, any way they could... This could be no, this had to be a bot. There's no way a human who would have played this way who had a very strong winning record on the site. Like whenever a bot does something really weird that a winning player would never do, then that's a pretty strong indictment that it's a bot. I had my own experience with a bot on Bovada, where on Bodog, not Bovada, but on Bodog many years ago, where I there was a bug in the software where you could just keep giving yourself the button if you did a certain uh, sequence with sitting out and sitting back in. And I never did this to human players, but there was one highly suspected bot on there. And I decided, well, I'm going to prove it's a bot or not. So I used that trick to take the button 80 consecutive times against the bot. And this is a bot with a verified winning record on the site because you there were sites that tracked this at the time. So this is a longtime winning player suspected of being a bot who was willing to play on the big blind, heads up, 80 consecutive hands against me. I think that's pretty clear that's a bot. And also it sat out eventually after the 80th, like the 80-something time and, and said, fuck you to me and left. So clearly the uh, the guy operating it saw this and freaked out. And then he complained, by the way, and then the Bodog actually called me and scolded me for this and told me I'm going to be banned from the site if I continued this. And I explained it's a bot and this is why I did it and they didn't want to hear it from me. So this is another case of Fox you know Fox Rocks was a long-time winning tournament player on there. There's no way a long-time winning tournament player with a very good record on there, good record meaning winning record, would fold like this over and over and over and over heads up in a tournament including when they're almost all in the big blind. So it's very clear that between this and the other accusations against Fox Rocks in the past that it's definitely a bot. So, Winning Poker Network, which is the parent network of America's Card Room, it basically is America's Card Room, they finally made a decision to do something about this. They tweeted the following on April 12th. We are proud to announce the first and only transparent and verifiable reimbursement policy. Taking a stand against bots, we have disabled user Fox Rocks and refunded 4,001 players for a total of $175,728.80. Check out our new policy here. And then had a link. Now, and what kind of games are they playing? Well, that's what we get into. So this this was not this 
this tournament that was not the top prize. It was not one hundred seventy-five thousand or anything near that. It was a a fairly small buy-in tournament, like sixteen dollars and fifty cents. Right, right, right. But, so, right. So he's playing. Was he playing cash too, or just tournaments? Uh, I'm not sure, but I, I whatever it was, they decide they they can't, and I don't know how much was actually left in the account or. It's hard for me to believe a bot would they would leave that type of money in the bot's account, knowing that it could get caught at any time. But I think they must have come to the conclusion at America's Card Room that Fox Rocks won 175k during its time there, and they reimbursed 4,001 opponents of his 175,000 and change total added together. So uh, this might sound good. In fact, they probably took a lot of this out of their own pocket because I doubt that type of money was still in the Fox Rocks account. They definitely took away whatever Fox Rocks had, but I doubt it was that much money or anywhere near that. But listen to the reimbursement policy. The, the one they're bragging about, the one they linked, they said, we're proud to announce the first and only transparent and verifiable reimbursement policy. They're trying to brag like, hey, look, we're the only card room that actually has a very clear reimbursement policy where other sites just kind of do what they feel like. This is what they wrote. If you click on this link from the America's Card Room Twitter, you'll get this page on their site, americascardroom.eu. The Winning Poker Network is the first and only online poker room offering a transparent, verifiable reimbursement policy. Our players trust us, but we strive for excellence. As a player, we encourage you not to accept less. The Winning Poker Network exposes the offending player's screen name. We do our best to calculate reimbursements correctly. However, we encourage our value players to check their records to make sure we took care of them. All our cards are face up. Then here's their actual policy. We reimburse money won from players by accounts proven to be breaking Winning Poker Network's fair play policies. We use the following method for reimbursement. One, game type. A, tournaments and ladder up. We, we remove the offending player from the payout spot and move each lower payout spot up one position and pay each player the difference between his old spot and new spot. B, cash games. We subtract losses to the offending player from wins taken from the offending player in a given session. So it's very simple. If you're a cash, way, a cash player, if you've lost overall against the, against the bot or whoever's breaking the rules, they give you back whatever you lost to that, that account. And if it's a tournament, uh, whenever that account cashed, they just move everybody up one spot and, and pay them the difference. Okay, that's, that's pretty common. But here's the thing that's not common, and it's kind of disturbing. We reimburse to a cap of $25,000 for each band player. That's not good. That is not good. Can I assume that that hit the cap? Well, this one they they went over their Promise own cap. The this this one went over their own cap for whatever reason. I don't know why that happened. But uh, and how much was it? Sorry, Jeff. It was uh, the cap is, is twenty five thousand. No, they, I know the cap twenty five thousand. They, they how much did they pay out? One hundred seventy five thousand. Right. So so yeah, they they gave way past that, but that's because this is a very public situation and they didn't want it to look bad. Yeah, but if that's and now they're saying it's a fifth of that. I mean, that's kind of a joke. Yeah, so it's a, it's a joke because why should there be a cap? I could understand if they have a cap of of uh, we're going to take whatever's in the account, and then if if we don't have 
if there's less than twenty five thousand in the account, the most we're going to give you guys is twenty five thousand. So so this way, if if uh, there was a bot who won three million on the site, we don't owe you guys three million. Like like basically, right? So they can say whatever we confiscate. Plus fifty percent or something, or they could say whatever we confiscate plus whatever. Yeah, we'll calculate how much it, it it won from people. Whatever's in the account, we confiscate, and if that's not enough to cover it, we'll we'll cover even more up to twenty five thousand. That should be what they say. But to say we reimburse to a cap makes it sound like if they seize an account with seventy eight thousand dollars that had uh, cheated for and, and won eighty five thousand dollars. That they're going to keep fifty eight thousand and give, tw- or they're going to keep uh, fifty three thousand and give twenty five to the players, which which is crappy. Yeah, that's ridiculous. I mean, they could do a minimum of twenty five thousand. I guess they couldn't really do that because there could be some small ones, but you know, certainly they should give max they recover. That's ridiculous. Yeah, so that's that's this one stupid thing. And then they actually have on their site a list of everybody. Of who got uh, what money? So this this is one nice thing that they actually list how much money was taken from each player from for each of these bots and who got the money back, and they list it by screen name. So there there were two that they've listed so far. There was Gluckauf, that's G L U C K A U F, and Gluckauf is also from Ogre, Latvia. 1,057 people got money back, and it ranged from uh, $736.60 to AA Noob down to $0.61 for Turkey Club, who won't have enough for a Turkey Club for $0.61. A total of 25134 was reimbursed, so I guess they slightly went over that too. Fox Rocks... Then there were some bigger reimbursements. Certy three got back eighteen hundred seventy six dollars and ninety two cents as the highest reimbursement, and uh, the forty four hundred one people got back money involving Fox Rock. The lowest amount went to K Kang Pay ten, who got nine cents. It does show that both of them were Latvia. It showed that the the percentage of affected users was uh, 1.3%, which actually allows you to calculate how many users are on the winning poker network. I don't know if, how they – when they say percentage of affected users, I don't know how they calculate who's a, a user, like someone who signed up five years ago who never plays anymore. They, they considered I, – I th- they probably mean active users, but they're saying that uh, – 0.86% of their users were affected by Glokov and Fox Rocks affected 1.3% of their users. And the time periods, Glokov was between February 2nd, 2019 and April 15, 2019, and Fox Rocks was between June, two, June 15, 2018 and April 11th, 2019. And then you can actually download the tournaments they played. So I guess they only played tournaments. You can download... MTTs played and see everything that was played. So I see what the America's Card Room is trying to do here. I think they're trying to tur- turn this uh, embarrassing situation into a positive. So these two accounts are exposed pretty convincingly by 
streamers and others on social media to be bots, and it's very clear. So America's Cardroom has to do something here or look terrible. So what they're doing now is they are taking these two accounts and making an example of them and then making this new policy about not only are we going to give you guys your money back, but we're going to establish this very clear policy. We're the only site that's going to do this. And we're going to name each account that gets banned. We're not going to hide in the shadows. We're going to make it very public who we ban. And we're going to make very public where all the money goes. We're not going to just say we're reimbursing people the money. Here's all the money that's being reimbursed, and here's who's getting it. And we're the only site that does that. Well, that's, that's true, and that's good. But there's only two that are banned here. If you look, there's only two. There's Fox Rocks and there's this Gluckhoff. That's it. What happened to the many, many, many accounts that have been accused of collusion and botting where nothing's been done, including these two, until recently? So this isn't enough to say we have a fair and transparent policy and we're going to be open about everything. And here's our start of it. Why is this just happening now? And what about all the other ones? What about all the other reports in the past? That that just doesn't matter anymore? Like, What about ones that have been reported in the past and nothing was done? Why can't they revisit those and ban those too? Why can't they start suspending all the accounts that were suspected at one point and say, we're going to review all these and see what we're going to do? I think they just decided that this is a bad look at the moment and that this is they're going to use this, they're going to turn a, a negative to a positive. So not surprisingly, there is some mixed reaction to this whole thing with some people praising them for all this and others are saying that they're just uh, doing too little too late. They've had a major problem with this for a long time and they've done nothing. It is possible that there's going to be more bans in the coming days because uh, there's other accounts accused of botting and collusion from Ogre Latvia. And in case you're wondering if Ogre Latvia is a huge place, it's not. It only has a population of 23,000 people. So you have to imagine that other accounts from Ogre Latvia are probably also involved in this as well. We'll see if they get banned. We'll see if refunds happen. But I I think it's pretty clear. There's definitely a botting and collusion problem on the winning poker network, a.k.a. America's Card Room. And you should know that before you play there. And this is occurring even at the smaller tournaments. Now, bots aren't impossible to beat. They're not like super users that can see your cards. You know, bots are, are still playing poker the same way you're playing. It's just they have certain advantages over you in that they can play... Uh, close to perfect theory. They can collude with each other. They have no emotion or fatigue. And... So they have bots that play off each other, Druff? So it's like a team? Yes. Yes, there's bot networks on Wow. There. Yes, yes. I didn't know that. Yeah, because yeah, well, yeah, when you said teams, I just figured... 
each person was playing individually, but they're programming them in a way. Yes. Yes. And, and, like, oh my God, yeah. I didn't realize that. Yes. In fact, this also happened. This is not the first time this has happened. This is, uh, there was a cheating ring from China on Poker Stars some years ago called the DON cheating ring. It was stood for double or nothing. And they, they were, uh, that was a bot network. There's been bot networks, uh, a lot of places where they cheat with each other, they share whole cards with each other, and they use that to make decisions. They will collude with each other, soft play each other. There's all kinds of advantages there. So, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if there was like a company, you know, half the, comp- half the city probably works for them. Yeah, it could be. It's like a software development company, and this is what they create. Yeah. I'll bet there's. Ad, I'll bet the local paper has like ads for for jobs, yeah. programming jobs. Well, it's like it's like <laughs> a, it's, it's like those Nigerian scammers that that there were entire towns in Nigeria that this was the only industry was just uh, sending out those right. scam emails. Yeah, but with these two, I mean, they need a technical expertise, stuff, right? To to program yeah. these. I mean, that's not you know that's a very complex. Thing right. Doing. Well, so they need the technical expertise, and then they also need people to sign up accounts to, to pretend to be individuals. Not uh, they. They need warm bodies there to sign up these accounts. Yeah, and I'm sure they can just hire them, have them sit there. Yeah. Or I mean, whatever. no, they don't even need to sit there. They, just need to, they don't have to go anywhere exactly. They just need their information and their IDs or whatever, and and agreements not to actually cash out the money. So, but yeah, it's uh, it's a big problem there, and the, the only way to stop this is if the operator of the site takes it seriously and starts really clamping down on these botting networks and and on suspected bots, and they look at this intelligently and ban enough of them to where the bot operators decide it's not worth doing anymore because they keep losing accounts. And what could they do, Druff? I mean, so like Ogre Bulgaria... Can we assume everybody in Ogre is a bot if they're playing? I think probably because it's only 23,000 people and there may be one or two unlucky people that happen to just be normal players from there. But yeah, there's a. Right. And even if they're online poker players, they're playing in America's card room. You know? Yeah, right. So why wouldn't it be poker? Why wouldn't they play in stars? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it probably is. So you could probably just block the whole city, right? Yeah, but then they'll switch to other cities. But the thing is, they. The the big thing that's been bothering people about America's card room is that number one, they don't seem to be doing anything proactive to catch these bots, and number two, that when people report it with very convincing evidence, that America's card room just shrugs it off and does nothing, and like uh, uh, like, and if they're not the only ones that have this problem, like like look at the thing that happened with me and Bodog back then, where I I asked the guy, and this was a fairly high manager there that was based out of Toronto, but I asked him, how do you explain this? How did this person explain why they played 80 straight hands with me on the big blind, and I got the button? If they're... And you see they're a winning player. I can see they're a winning player because of poker table ratings. How could a winning player behave this way? And why don't you ask them that? Why don't you look into this? Why don't you look at their other play? Why don't you look at a lot of things that could indicate it's a bot? And they were just weren't interested. They just said this is between us and them, and uh, we're just telling you exploiting that bug is against our rules. If you do it again, we're going to ban you. 
We're not talking about other accounts. And they would not discuss the bot situation. That account continued playing there all the way up until the end when they changed it to anonymous tables. So it really bothered me that they just didn't care. But they didn't seem to care. And America's Card Room just didn't seem to care even when Chicago Joey shamed them for it and got a lot, they got a lot of heat over it. They just uh, shrugged it off. And I think some of it is because there's not that much competition as far as sites of any size that are U.S. facing. There's them and there's Bovada and that's it. And have you played on that, Trevor? Do you play on that? No, I don't play on there. Have you? No, I haven't played yet because they just haven't had the games that I want to play. Yeah, have you looked at the software? No, I haven't looked at anything. They just, as far as I know, if you guys, if you see games running on there that are like reliably running or semi-reliably running, limit hold'em or 08 games of a like fifteen thirty or higher, uh, let me know, and I will play there. I'll just be, be careful about bots. And it's not because I love them. You may say, oh, what a hypocrite. He's going to go play there now. I, I'm just saying, the, you know, these sites are not perfect. You've, if you want to play online poker, you've got to, unfortunately, you've got to tolerate this crap. And, uh, and, and call it out and make the company look stupid and just kind of shame them into it. But the choice is to either not play or, or deal with some of the crap that comes along uh, with what these sites are doing. And I don't think America's Card Room enjoys having bots or likes having bots. I think they just don't really feel like doing anything about it. They'd rather just close their eyes to the problem. Except in situations like these where they have to say something. Okay, we're going to move on to some casino topics here. Steve Wynn might have a first here for people who have casinos named after them. Not just might, he definitely will if this comes to pass. There's been talk that Steve Wynn might be banned from the casinos bearing his name. The Wynn properties actually, they have his signature on them. It's actually Steve Wynn's signature in giant form on the front of the building. And yet he will be possibly banned from ever entering the buildings ever again. How weird is that? Yeah, I'm going to the win where Steve Wynn is not allowed. But it's still called Wynn. <laughs> See, they, they don't want to change the name because it has a lot of brand recognition at this point. But they don't really want to be associated with Steve Wynn, so it's, it's very difficult for them. In case you're unaware, Steve Wynn has been under fire for the past year or so because of sexual harassment allegations and the fact that he actually paid off women in the mid-2000s who raised sexual harassment complaints against him. But apparently he was a serial sexual harasser at the win, and this uh, finally came out. Uh... Apparently, he was such a problem there that certain employees would create fake employment, fake appointments at the same time that he wanted to come in 
for certain things like getting a manicure. So this way, those female employees didn't have to deal with him. They'd actually have to say, oh, sorry, you can't schedule with her. Someone else already has an appointment. <laughs> so that, that the people were actually avoiding, women were actually avoiding any time alone with him because of this. Uh, Steve Wynn paid a $7.5 million settlement through a limited liability company to hide the fact that it was really coming from him. That settlement was to a manicurist that he supposedly uh, sexually uh, propositioned in 2005. The claim was that uh, at the completion of the manicure, he pressured her to take off her clothes and told her to lie on the massage table uh, that he kept in his own office suite. And she says she claims she said she didn't want to have sex and it was married, but he persisted in his demands and she ultimately had sex with him. And then he paid her $7.5 million when she uh, filed a lawsuit against him over this. Uh, so there is a big scandal over this. Even though Wynn denies these allegations, he said they're preposterous. He did resign. Preposterous, that's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> uh, apparently, another thing he did, we've talked about it before on this show, but uh, another thing he did was he, he kept, uh, there's one cocktail waitress who was actually a grandmother that he became obsessed with and wanted to have sex with her because he said he always wanted to have sex with the grandmother. And this is when he was in his 50s himself, so it's not like he was a young man saying, oh, I wonder if that's kind of weird having sex with the grandmother. Like he, he, was, he wasn't that young himself, and he just decided he wanted to have sex with the grandmother and just kept hassling this one uh, cocktail waitress who had just become a grandmother to have sex with him. That was probably just his line, though. Yeah, maybe. I, I don't know. But uh, anyway, they, he eventually resigned in uh, February 2018 because of this whole scandal. And then the problem was what to do with him. What what do you do? So, yeah, he wasn't chairman and CEO of Win anymore, but do you keep his name on there? And also, what about the Massachusetts Win that was set to open? Because there, there was one casino license that was going to be given out in the Boston area. Obviously, it's very lucrative to have a, a casino in the Boston area, if, especially if there's only one. And a lot of companies were competing for it, including Caesars. But it seems like there's one problem after another with this. Uh, so first, Caesars has to drop out because they it, it was found out that the Cromwell was being designed by a Russian mobster, and they didn't realize it. So they they Caesars was accidentally working with a Russian mobster, and they knew that. Massachusetts was going to be unhappy about that and was never going to give them the license, so they just dropped out themselves. Yeah, see, I thought that was the win because my cousin's uh, friend was out visiting him, and I guess he's working on it. He's a plumber or something. Yeah, well, no, the win, yeah. the, the win got the license because Caesar no, dropped no, out. No, I just, I just thought that story related to the win, not the other one. Yeah, yeah, no, that that was the Caesars, and then Win ended up winning the license. So that so now they were going to open there, and but then there's concern that uh, Steve Wynn, even though he's gone from there, that this, there's concern that this could jeopardize the license because they 
gave the license to Steve Wynn, and that uh, now that they know he wasn't suitable to have it, or they, they may feel he wasn't suitable to have it based upon things that had already occurred before the license was given, and uh, they may say, well, you know, now that we had that, inf- now that we have this information, had we known it back then, we wouldn't have awarded it to the win. So there's been some talk that maybe this is going to be rescinded, even though Win is no longer with the company. So they they don't know what to do about this, and the Massachusetts Gaming Commission is still trying to decide what to do. So Win Resorts is trying to be proactive here, and they filed a legal brief suggesting some measures they could take to where the commission would go easier on them and decide to let them keep their license. So one of the things that Wynn Resorts itself suggested that they might do is ban Steve Wynn from all the Wynn properties. And I think the way they came up with this was, hey, look, we can keep the Wynn name, the Wynn brand, People who go there because they like Wynn properties will still come, and uh, yet Steve Wynn himself will be banned, and while that'll make some news, it's, it's not as drastic as changing the entire name of the property, because there'll be a lot of people who just ha- haven't heard of this. But once he was ousted, I mean, what was he doing? Just going in there every day and hanging out? No, he wasn't. It's just a symbolic. It's symbolic like uh, we're, we're so past when the sexual harasser that he's banned from our property. We're keeping his name yes, just because yeah, it's the name of the know. company. Just, I think that just creates more PR. I mean, just more people know about it. Because has it been really that well no- talked about outside of poker with everything else going on? Well, it's been talked about, but it, I think that's why they'd be doing it because they're afraid they're, if, if they weren't going to lose this license in Massachusetts or, or if, they were, if they weren't in danger of this happening, then they definitely wouldn't do it. But they're trying to find something to appease the Massachusetts Gaming Commission. So the Gaming Commission's like, oh, okay, well, we can see you guys are serious about uh, distancing yourself from Steve Wynn. Okay, fine, you can keep your license. Like that, That's what they're hoping the response is going to be. If it wasn't for this, then they wouldn't do this. Because I, I doubt Steve Wynn has been back there or, he, or wants to come back there. But uh, it, it's a symbolic thing, and they're hoping it's going to go over. Uh, th- there's some other suggestions they put forth in addition to banning Wynn. That uh, one of the, that this is according to the review Las Vegas Review Journal that any sexual assault or harassment reports be thoroughly investigated by a compliance committee and that any disciplinary actions settlements or terminations be reported promptly to the commission that the compliance committee continue to be composed of independent board members that discrimination and harassment policies are reviewed annually by an outside expert that new employees receive discrimination and harassment training within six months of hiring and that the policy reviews occur annually. That, and I like discrimination and harassment training. Like, okay, it's time to uh, have your training on how to discriminate and harass. So uh, everybody take your seats here. Okay, so um, if you see a hot chick walk in, uh, what comment are you going to make? Um... How about, hello, nice to meet you? Wrong. That's why you're in this training. The, the, what you should say is, hey, I just noticed you're new here. Uh, would, you know, I, I have certain hotel rooms that are typically reserved for high rollers. It's not going to be used tonight. Would you like to come on up there with me? And uh, you can move up fast in this company if you make me happy in that room. That would be the, that'd be the sexual harassment training. The discrimination training would be something like, uh, hey, I hear you're talking with a lisp. Are you gay? If you are, we don't want any faggots in this company, so you can walk out that door. 
Like they, they teach people to behave that way. They, that's the discrimination and harassment training. It wasn't part of any of my jobs, but uh, you never know. Things, things change over time. So yeah, discrimination and harassment training that they have to have within six months of hiring. Why within six months of hiring? Like, wouldn't, why, why are you getting training like that six months in? Wouldn't, you, wouldn't this be like something they should do like within two weeks of hiring? Why, why is it at six months? Uh, then uh, that board members or executives not use any legal counsel that had represented Steve Wynn. So if you're a lawyer, you've represented Steve Wynn, you're persona non grata there, if this comes to pass. That any civil case against a Wynn Resorts qualifier be reported to the commission within 10 days, and that the company report any circumstances involving a qualifier's suitability to the Investigations and Enforcement Bureau promptly. Now, the Nevada Gaming Commission, if you remember, already fined Wynn Resorts $20 million for failing to provide the proper oversight involving Steve Wynn. The Massachusetts Gaming Commission hasn't done anything yet. They're still figuring out what to do. But the whole license there is in jeopardy. And they're very worried about it because this is something very, very valuable. The Encore Boston Harbor is the name of that property. Notice it's not called the Wynn. It's going to be called Encore Boston Harbor because they, they have an Encore in Las Vegas. And Encore was actually named that because it's like the Encore of the Wynn. It's like an addition to the Wynn. It's right next to the Wynn in Vegas. So that's what Encore was. It's like our second tower. But that is smart. They should really start just pushing that brand out. And yeah. Eventually they could, I guess, get the name off or whatever. So Encore Boston Harbor is opening on June 23rd of this year. So you can see they're quite nervous that this expensive new hotel could possibly lose its license or possibly suffer some gigantic fine. You see, nothing's been handed down yet from the Massachusetts Gaming Commission. If- but I can't imagine. I mean, if they gave it to them, they've already put all the money in to start building. They'd have huge damages. I can't imagine them taking it away. But they they could, and they could force them to sell to someone else, and yeah, that's or they they could just say you don't have a license, so now you can just leave yourself here with no casino, or you could sell to somebody else who's suitable. It, it could be something like that. So they're very nervous. Here, here's what it says on the Encore website, the Encore Boston Harbor website, which is EncoreBostonHarbor.com. It says a new day dawns in Boston, open June two that opening June two thousand nineteen. Welcome to Encore Boston Harbor, a full-service resort offering the best in upscale hospitality, dining, shopping, gaming, and more. Featuring an exceptional mix of luxury accommodations and exclusive attractions, Encore Boston Harbor has been designed to seamlessly blend with the city's rich cultural heritage and breathtaking natural beauty. And the Encore itself there looks very much like the Wynn Properties in Las Vegas, by the way. It's a very, very similar-looking building, almost identical. And it the actual location of it, it's not technically in the city of Boston. Uh, let's see exactly where it is. Uh, why, did, why didn't it have an address here? That's, that's kind of missing. How come that's not easy to find? This should be, like, really easy to find. Why can't I find this? I'll Google it. 
Whoever designed it has the set is like 40, half hour, 40 minutes outside the city. Yeah, it's in Everett. I see Everett, Massachusetts. Everett. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's right on the water of the uh, Mystic River. And it is, looks like compared to Boston, it is like directly north. Directly north of Boston. Kind of close to Interstate 93. So yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty close. In fact, there's a, some places call themselves uh, Boston North around there. Like there's a hotel they're calling themselves Boston. AC Hotel by Marriott. Boston North is right by there. It's also close to the Bunker Hill area of Boston. It's a little bit north of that too. But it's it's fairly close to Bunker Hill. And uh but yeah, that's really the only casino right in that area. So can you imagine? Yeah, and as long as you're off the 93, that kind of open that's like I think the perfect spot. Yeah, it's a little bit you, know, you have to drive a little it's not right next to the 93, but it's it's uh it's pretty close to it. You got to get off on uh uh, it looks like Alford Street, and and drive a little bit north, and it's right there. But it's it's pretty close to the ninety three, right on the water, and uh, directly north of Boston, close to Bunker Hill. So yeah, it's and the ninety three is the one that's kind of like a big circle, right? Uh, now I don't have right no, it, ago, no, it just it, no, it just goes. There, there is a you know, I think there is a circle kind of within Boston. It, it, it is because one time I was one time I used to go there for business quite a bit, and I was, um, I guess I was going to the place like exactly on the other side. So I'd ask one person, "Oh, go you know north," and the other one, "No, go south." But it turned out they were both right. I could have gone either way. <laughs> yeah, it's it's. It looks like the 90s, I don't know this area that well, but it looks like the 93 stretches from, like, what, New Hampshire? It goes way, way north, yeah, to New Hampshire, and then all the way down south past Boston. But, yeah, within Boston, it looks like, it does look like a circle on there. That's kind of weird. But, yeah, I can imagine how lucrative this thing must be. It's a very high population area and such a little competition right there. And it's a big property. It's not like some little shithole there. This is a big property that's it's like having a monopoly. So uh, Well, yeah. Well, everybody has to travel to Connecticut. Yeah. I mean, they're going to take that whole market from them. Yeah. So this this is... Uh, you see why Wynn is just the, like, tell us what we have to do. We'll do anything. We'll ban Steve Wynn. We'll, we'll, we'll make a sexual harassment committee. We'll have training. We'll have whatever you need. What do you want? You want us to do the shame thing from uh, Game of Thrones? I don't watch Game of Thrones. I don't, I, I don't know that. Oh, you don't? No. I was going to ask. You really should, Ruff. I didn't get into it until the fourth season. Everybody kept telling me it. Oh, you got to watch it. It's awesome. They're, they should offer to sacrifice uh, Steve Wynn like into a volcano. They're going to kidnap Steve Wynn and. Uh, Sacrifice him to the sexual harassment gods and throw his body into a volcano. Yeah, well, in Game of Thrones, they had this woman. She'd had to walk down the street naked, and everybody was like throwing rotten fruit at her and whatever at her. They could have to walk down the strip and do that. 
I didn't even understand this whole thing with Steve Wynn. Like, I, if you're that, if you're that famous, you have that much money. Um, you know, wh- why do you have to resort to? If you want just random women, you should just be able to get them. Even if you're old or whatever, you should. If you're you're famous and you have money, there should be plenty of women who will have sex with you voluntarily. Why Why do you have to sexually harass people at work? Like, first of all, just never do it to anyone at work. Like just wherever you think you're going to find your women, do not do it from work. And and that's number one. And number two, just you, you should be able to find plenty of willing women to to be with you, just based on your money and fame. You don't have to sexually harass anybody. It's, it's I don't understand why he even had to go about that. The whole thing is weird to me. But it's just I think he just kind of got the like, like many of these guys who. This came out about for past behavior that they just these were men who got to be very powerful and they just kind of believed the rules didn't apply to them. They could just have whatever they wanted at any time. So, like he's getting a manicure and he thinks the chick's hot is doing it. He just kind of thinks he can pressure her into, into having sex with him and she'll just do it because he's Steve Wynn. And if she doesn't want to, well, she'll and do that could be part of his you know sick mind. He has to have that power. That's why thing turns him on. Yeah, I I'll tell you I. I I wouldn't even get I don't even get any pleasure from having sex with women who don't actually want to have sex with me. I've I've never found that to be appealing. I've always wanted the I've always wanted to believe that that they they want to also that I'm not having to pressure them that they're actually desiring to do that. And if they, if I get the idea they don't, I've just kind of not not only wouldn't I do it because it's not right to do, but I also wouldn't even have the desire to do it. I just think, well, okay, she doesn't like me. Well, screw it. And then I'm just giving up. <laughs> that's just, uh, that's, that's always the way I've approached things. And I realize not everybody necessarily thinks like me, but I just think if you're someone who has the opportunity to get women through their existing money and fame, that, uh, you're the last one who needs to sexually harass anyone to, uh, to, to make, you know, to have sex with women you find attractive. I think uh, it should never happen, but but I don't even see what purpose they think it's accomplishing. Unless, as you said, unless it's some thrill they're getting out of just getting these women to do it when they don't want to. I mean, you think it has to be because look at look at what the situation they're putting themselves in. Yeah, I mean, they have so much to lose. But it, it took it took a long time for the hammer to come down. I mean, yeah, he had to pay seven point five million in the lawsuit, but he was able to even do that and keep it all quiet uh, and. Uh, then there was this uh, there was that whole weirdness where the Las Vegas Review Journal killed the story, and then they outed themselves about killing the story because Sheldon Adelson bought it and he wanted to he wanted to go after Win. That was the weirdest situation. And didn't he buy it right? I mean, it wasn't. It was kind of right after this. Right after they had the story, right? It wasn't too far after. Yeah, but that wasn't why he, he bought it. Bought him. It wasn't like from years ago. Yeah, but it, no, but he. It doesn't seem like he bought it for that purpose. But when the opportunity came up, Sheldon Adelson's like, "Oh, sweet, uh, we can embarrass Steve Wynn really badly, and he's our biggest rival." Uh, yeah. So, so. I mean, I, I, yeah. I mean, I thought we were talking about he did it. He did it for that. No, we were saying that that see he was denying it. See, see Sheldon Adelson denied that he even knew about this until he got the paper himself, which is so laughable. He's like, "Oh, I didn't know about this till I got the paper and read it in there myself." That's such BS. Uh, clearly, 
this opportunity came up, someone brought it to Adelson, and he must have said, oh, yeah, for sure. And they're like, well, this is going to make the paper look bad. Oh, who gives a crap about the paper? Yeah, you know, take credit for it. Admit you killed the story. That's fine. I don't give a crap. Let the, let the paper take a hit in the reputation. I want Steve Wynn going down. So he actually threw his own paper under the bus so he could go after Steve Wynn. And it was successful because look, look what happened to Steve Wynn. So it was the perfect opportunity. It was so weird that the paper actually came forward and expose this. Like, so let, here's our story. Let us tell you what we did 10 years ago that we shouldn't have done. Like, what, what paper would ever do that? But they actually brought out the story saying, yeah, we, we did this 10 years ago, and uh, sorry about this. But anyway, here's a story. And yet, Adelson claims he didn't have to do with that, which is clearly not true. You'd have to be a moron to believe that. So... We will see. We will see what happens with Steve Wynn. And they, you can tell they don't want to take the name off the property, though. That's one thing they're not proposing. They're not proposing we're not going to call it the Wynn. Now, it's called Encore over there, but it's not like they're saying we're going to t- change the brand completely or we're going to take Wynn's name off the Las Vegas. They're not, they're not doing that. They don't want to ruin that part because there's a lot of people who don't know much or anything about this whole scandal who just like Wynn properties and they don't want these people searching for the win to go stay at next and go, what? Where's the win? What happened to it? I like win properties. They don't exist anymore. Oh, well, I guess they went out of business. Never mind. But they don't want that happening. They've, that brand has been built, and it's been a successful brand, and it's a very well-liked brand. They don't want to throw that away, even if the guy it's named after is not very well-regarded. It reminds me a little bit of Carl Karcher of Carl's Jr., he was actually kicked out of his own company. And there were even some accusations at the time about uh, some anti-Semitism or, or uh, uh, white supremacy stuff that he was involved in. And uh, they didn't want to change Carl's Jr. because that was, again, a, a brand that was well-known. In some areas, it has a different name anyway. I think like in the South, it's called Hardee's with that same star. But again, when, Carl's, when Carl Karcher wasn't involved anymore... With Carl's Jr., they didn't want to drop that. Though it, it wasn't a scandal-like thing with Wynn. That, that's a worse thing, because that was directly involving wrongdoing to certain individuals, and it came out during the time that uh, this type of stuff was all coming out during that Me Too movement. So that was pretty bad for Wynn there. If you want to text or call in 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355. Did you see that story, by the way, Drop The Philadelphia Flyers. They, it was like a song. God Bless America? Yeah, I think God Bless America. This woman sang 80 years ago. And they had, but you know, so anytime they played it, they were like 101, 26, and 2 or something. And uh, then it just came out. She was a total racist. She was singing the song, some song about the darkies. Oh, really? Yeah, I saw something about that. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, It was just, like, horrible. <laughs> and so now there's that point in it. Yeah, I saw something about I didn't read the whole story, but I saw something about that God Bless America and some scandal involving racism. Yeah, yeah, watch it. Yeah, it's unreal. But, by the way, I got a message from uh, uh, from Shoeshine Box, a.k.a. Uh, Mark. He was on the, he was the guy who had uh, cancer and survived it. He said he was working at Binion's in 2003 when Chris Moneymaker... 
won the World Series of Poker main event. He said Moneymaker got a lifetime contract from Rich from Brooklyn. I think he's referring to uh, Rich Corbin. So, but I, I, I don't know if that would still be valid. I, I, I guess it would be, but it's got different ownership. I don't know. But uh, I think they could probably drop Moneymaker, but I, I couldn't picture it happening. Right. Oh, but he got a lifetime. That's interesting. Yeah. I don't know if but it's what, still be valid. I mean, what could it have been? How much a month? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I don't know what it would have been. Yeah, that's. Uh, I'd be curious to see that. I, I couldn't see them dropping him, though. Uh, he, here's a message from the 505. In New Mexico, when I was 20, I got kicked out of the Sandia Casino. I was there playing 1-2 No Limit, just got stacked. I left in my car to go get more money. Walking through the casino, some security card thought I looked kind of young, and he asked for ID. I told him I didn't have it. He said, I can't be here without it, and I had to leave. I went back to my car, got more cash, used the valet elevator to sneak back in, sat down, and dusted off two buy-ins. I used the same elevator I used to sneak in. That same guard happened to be there riding it. He's like, I told you, you can't be here without ID. He tells me, if I see you again, we're going to take you to a room in the back and find out who you are. I don't say anything. I leave wishing I listened and not drop four bills on my 20th birthday. Yeah, that's, uh, that's tough when you get banned and you lose money. For the 915... Could you tell again the story on the air of how you met Benjamin's future mom using Facebook? I love that story. Uh, well, okay, I guess I, I guess I might as well. I'm not going to tell a whole long story again, but I will tell you. Uh, there was something that came out on the forum. Not came out, but there's a a thread on the forum regarding iPhones spying on people. And I, I guess I might as well address it because I addressed it in the thread. And I think it's important for people to know because there, there is a lot of abuse of data these days, especially by sites like Facebook. And there's a lot of concern that maybe nothing's private anymore. So someone posted on the Poker Fraudler forum that... They had a creepy experience. It was Gordman who posted this. Supposedly he had a creepy experience, and I understand why he was alarmed by this, that uh, Gordman is divorced, and he has a boy with uh, the woman he was once married to. So they, he was discussing with his ex-wife what they should buy for the kid's birthday. And he said that uh, his son wanted a good headset that wasn't going to break, and he needed uh, yeah, basically a headset with earphones and a mic to play on Xbox. And uh, that he had some before, but they kept breaking because they were cheaply made and they needed to get him something new that would uh, last longer. So Gordman told his ex-wife, can you, you know, he asked, can you look into this and find a quality headset and we can buy it for him? So his ex-wife looked into it and decided to get one of the Sennheiser headsets. Gordman swears that he never typed Sennheiser into his computer. He never did a Google search, an Amazon search, or anything like that on any device he has or any account he has. He never typed anything in about Sennheiser. Yet, when he started going on to sites shortly after that, 
he gets uh, actually I guess this is for Christmas 2018 not birthday. He started going onto sites like Reddit, started seeing ads pop up on the side and where ads normally appear, and started noticing things for Sennheiser. Thought it was a coincidence, but then he started seeing it more and more wherever he was going. Now, it is true, there are targeted ads that see that you've been to certain sites, and then you'll start getting ads for those sites or for sites associated with them. But he said he's never ever typed Sennheiser in or gone to any Sennheiser site. So how is it possible he's suddenly getting ads for Sennheiser just because he discussed it on the phone with his ex-wife? And he also said that he recently found uh, a Reddit uh, discussion where someone uh, did an experiment where they would uh, talk about something that they would never really have an interest in and see if their phone picked it up and they started getting ads for it. So a guy on Reddit claimed that they needed cat food really badly, even though they don't actually own a cat, but they just started saying, hey, we really need cat food. What kind of, what kind of thing is the... What do you think is the best brand? Because you know, we don't like the cat food we're currently using. They just kept saying cat food, cat food, hoping the phone would pick it up and to see if it would pop up. And then they started getting all these ads for cat food on their phone. And so they were convinced that their phone is listening to them and that uh, everybody's phone is really spying on them and listening to every word they're saying and then marketing to them. Sounds like a one of these science fiction uh, nightmarish films that you would have seen in the 80s or 90s. But uh, Gordon Mann saying that yeah, this must be real life because of the Sennheiser thing that happened to him. And it's interesting. To, I mean, he said he didn't text. Cause I would think through text and email. I mean, if they're going through voice, because even just mentioning buying headsets, that statement, or buying headsets, is, then they could just start serving you ads from headset companies. Yeah, so this is what I told him. I said, I don't think that his phone is listening to them. First of all, this would have to have uh, Apple's cooperation to do, and if this was caught, this could really look bad for them. But I said, there's a lot of plausible explanations for this that don't necessarily mean your phone was listening to you. So, number one, his wife could be using a device that he once used before the divorce. And therefore, it's associated with him. And if that device is searching for Sennheiser and there's some connection between him and that device in the past, then he can start getting ads for that. Possible explanation number two, that uh, she had shared or even had stolen some of her email, her email contacts, which of course would include him, and it associated the same last name. So that any ad she sees that he also gets because it thinks, she, it thinks he's in the same family or perhaps is even married to her. Uh, there's also, as you said, it could be an email thing. That she emailed him something like, okay, well here's the Sennheiser the headset I just bought and emailed it to him. And then uh, something saw the email. Maybe he has some kind of malware installed on his computer that can spy on the email he gets and then starts advertising to him, whatever. So there's a lot of 
kind of creepy things out there on the web that can grab data that you'd never think of it ever getting. But it's not always from where you think. Sometimes your mind goes to the most sinister possibility or the most disturbing possibility, and it's actually something completely different, which also might be bothersome to think about, but but is not quite as extreme or bad as you might be picturing. So, like, if you have malware on your computer spying on your email and trying to advertise to you based upon the email you're getting, yeah, that's kind of disturbing. But that's not as bad as your phone listening to everything you say and then advertising to you. That's much worse. But it's, it's natural for the human mind to always go to the most scary possibility. Something I learned from my dad, who listens to the show sometimes, by the way. He, uh, in fact, last time I talked to him about the show a few weeks ago, he said, yeah, I listened to the last episode. I didn't make all seven hours, but I heard about three of them. So he, he listens. I don't know if he'll be hearing this. But something he told me about that I've always kept in mind throughout my life is uh, the concept of the 10-foot-tall Russian. And this is, this is from the, the Cold War days. But the, the concept of the 10-foot-tall Russian was that uh, back in the days of the Cold War, that it was natural to always fear that Russia was ahead of us, that Russia was doing everything right, that Russia knew everything going on, that their spies were better than our spies, that their technology was better than our technology, that uh, they, they just were constantly one step ahead and constantly doing better. and constant, Anything that we could be vulnerable with, that they will seize upon, upon it, and take full advantage of it. And that's the, the ten foot thing comes from like that we're just normal six feet men who can't compete with the ten foot tall Russians. They're just better at everything. And this was actually told to those in government and those working in the defense communities in the Cold War days that you have to get away from that type of thinking. And you have to look at it more realistically. You, that you can't fill in the gaps where there's unknowns with the scariest and most negative thing possible. Or otherwise you're going to uh, spin yourself up and often defend against the wrong things or worry about the wrong things. And that stayed with me because I've found myself occasionally thinking that way too. If I'm uh, in a feud with someone, or there's you know there's someone or something I'm I'm up against, and the my, my natural first thought is all the different ways that they can get me, that they could screw me, that they could uh, the vulnerabilities I have, that I'm sure they're going to figure them all out and. And that everything I'm going to do is going to fail, and then then I you know then I back up and go wait a minute. They're I, I'm giving them way too much credit probably, and a lot of times I find out that I am. A lot of times I find a lot of it you know it turned out as paranoia. It turns out that and I'm not just talking about individuals. It could be the dispute you have with the company. It could be uh, a lot of things where you give too much credit to the other side. And the other side scares you more than it really should. And you assume they have capabilities they really don't. 
or that they have the time to put into doing things to you that they really don't, or they have the interest in screwing you that they really don't. And that is really the lesson also to take with you when it comes to things like uh, data breaches and uh, privacy violations and hackings and things like that. I can't tell you how many people I have to convince. In fact, I just had this discussion with somebody yesterday. Not someone in poker, but uh, I just had this discussion with someone yesterday who got one of those emails that, uh, oh, we have your, you know, we have your password. We have control to your whole computer. We've been watching you masturbate. We have we have videos of the porn sites you've been visiting, and uh, we have control of your computer's camera. And to prove you, we have to prove to you we have control. Here's here's one of the passwords you recently used, and then they give you a real password that you've used in the past. And if you don't want us to expose everything, send you know, $700 in Bitcoin to this Bitcoin address. Trader Risky, have you gotten those messages? I have not. Yeah, you're lucky. I, I, I get them all the time. <laughs> and so, so how am I getting them? And you, where, where are these messages coming from? How, are they, how do they have my password? Well, there's certain companies that got hacked. A lot of companies have gotten hacked over time. And what happens is when these companies get hacked, if you had an account with this company then your information was hacked. Your name, your address, your, uh, your, your password, your email address. And this all gets stored in a gigantic file. And then these files are sold on the dark web for profit, obviously. And then those that buy them attempt to use them for these blackmail tactics, among other things. So when you get these messages, you haven't been hacked. A company that you had an account on got hacked, and that's how they have your password, but you have not been hacked. They have no access to your computer or your webcam or the porn you watch. None of that. But they write you that email and use that password, which is one of your passwords, as a way to convince you that they really do have access. And then they use that natural tendency people have to fear the worst. And what they really picture is just some guy, some hacker has taken an interest in them, gotten access to everything, and is now extorting them personally for money. Not that this was just a list of passwords and email addresses that someone bought from a vulnerable site that got hacked, and that they're using that to make you believe that they hacked you when they really haven't and have no way to do so nor do they have an interest in you personally. They fired out that email to 100,000 people. But it's effective because people have that belief. So it's the same thing about believing your phone's listening to you. What we need to believe is that there are a lot of privacy violations going on by a lot of sites on the web, including very large ones including Facebook, including Google, including Twitter, including Apple. There's violations that are intentional, and there's violations that are occurring through carelessness. But that's where you have to worry. And also from malware as well, that is not aimed at you personally, but that it's used for some kind of profit. 
on a mass scale. But if there's one thing you can take away from this whole discussion that you can remember in the future that will help you is that whenever your email is hacked or whenever your Facebook is hacked or whenever you get messages that you were hacked and there's a demand for something or whenever you get malware, any stuff like that, when you get a browser hijack that starts sending you to other sites, any stuff like that, that it's very, very rarely aimed at you personally, and usually those that have done it to you have no clue who you are and don't care who you are. That it's something done in mass, and they don't care about your bank passwords, they don't care about your bank account, they're not looking to drain your bank account or or, or charging your credit card. That's usually not what they're trying to do. I'm not saying credit card fraud doesn't happen, but that's a whole different thing. When these things occur, they're usually looking to either force your computer to do things that you don't want it to do, such as uh, serve ads to you where they get a commission when you click on it, or uh, or use your computer a- a- as a bot, have it be part of a network of bots to do things that they want to do, things like that. Or they are looking to trick you into sending them money because you're scared of something happening. That's it. It's never aimed at you. There's never some hacker in a dark room somewhere targeting you personally. It's never happening. Very, very, very rare to be that for that to be the case. And when it is the case, it's because someone you know is personally targeting you. But that's very rare. It's very rare. But like just some random hacker in Russia is never going to target you personally. And I tell people that over and over. And they're not after what you think. They're not after your bank passwords. They're they're not after any. They're not after your porn stash or anything else. They're they're not after any of this stuff. They're not after your personal emails or, or information that can embarrass you. They're never after that. Even if this information actually could be used, let's say they found some kind of freaky porn on your computer. Let's say they found pictures that you you, you know videos you have of yourself that you would never want getting out. Yes, that could be used against you, but these are not they don't have the time to go go through each person's computer nor do they often have access to it. They just want you to think they do. And then they fire it out to 100,000 people who think they do and if even 0.1% responds to it positively the way they want, then they've done a great they've they've really made a lot of money. So getting back to what Mumbles badly was asking me, he was the one who texted that from the 915. He wanted to know again, about the story of meeting Benjamin's mom. And how does that tie into this? Well, the way it ties into it, without getting into the whole story again, which I've told before on the show, was that in 2009, I joined Facebook for the first time. But I wasn't that enthusiastic about Facebook, and I entered nothing but my name. I just put Todd Wittellis, and that's it. Then I didn't touch the account for two weeks. About two weeks later, I finally had the interest to go back on there and finally fill out my profile. So I logged back in after two weeks, and I was shocked to see a friend's suggestion of a girl that I went to college with, someone I remained in occasional contact with. Like every few years, we'd talk in email. That was about it. By then, it had been about 16 years since I'd last seen her at college. And I think I met up with her once in person for... For dinner, like, about 
11 years prior. But this wasn't someone I talked to any every day or even every year for that matter. But she was my first friend suggestion, even though I had entered nothing but my name. And of course, my question was, how the hell does Facebook know I know this girl? When all I've entered is my name. It can't be because we went to the same college. We did, but I haven't told Facebook where I went to college. Even if I did tell Facebook where I went to college, that the college I went to had 18,000 students. How does it know of all those 18,000 people that I happen to know her? I was freaked out, but I knew, I knew there had to be an explanation, but I was a little freaked out by it. So I, I did what Facebook wanted, though. I added her. I said, oh, well, she's on here. Okay, I guess I'll add her. This is weird, but I guess I'll add her. So I added that girl, and another few days went by. I started getting these suggested friends that I didn't really know. I hadn't heard of these people before. But after only a few days, I did see someone I had known before, and it was a mutual friend of both me and that girl I had just added. By the way, that girl I had added, that my first friend on Facebook, she, she and I never had any kind of romantic thing or sexual thing. It was We were just always friends, nothing more than that. But then there was this other girl who we both knew that is suggested as her, her to be a friend of mine. And I thought, well, this is weird. Like, yes, she is a Facebook friend of this first girl I added, but of all that girl's Facebook friends, how does it know to suggest her? And I still don't think I had entered my school at that point. So I, I still don't know how it figured that out. It could have just been random where it, or semi-random where it, it picked whoever was kind of close to her age and suggested those people to me and finally you know happened to hit on one that I really did know. But I added and that. I can assume you didn't have a school email address at that point. No, no, nothing like. There's nothing like that yet. Nothing that I couldn't figure it out, other than maybe just as I said, because she was a mutual friend of that girl and they around the same age, and maybe that's what they were trying. Maybe maybe the other ones I saw before that of these people I didn't know were others from her friends list. I didn't bother to check, but anyway, it was pretty quick though that it, it picked the second girl that I had known from college. That I had actually known through this first one who added me, and the second girl who I knew in college was someone I had liked back then. I also didn't have any romantic or sexual uh, relations with her back in college, and I hadn't talked to her since I. Well, I actually had emailed with that girl about six months after I graduated, when then we lost touch. So it had been fifteen and a half years since we had last had any communication the second one. But I, I had liked her back in college. And uh, among other strange things, we had once pretended to be dating to irritate my former roommate, who I no longer, not my former, my former, fr- uh, my former good friend, who uh, I was no longer friends with and didn't like anymore. And he had kind of like sexually harassed her in the past. So as a way to get revenge, we pretended we were going out to make him jealous, like right in front of him. And he bought it. So she was never a girlfriend of mine. We never dated. We fake dated in front of someone. And I kind of wished it was real at the time, but I didn't say anything about it. So there was that. And also when I very, the very first time I met her in October of 91, um, I felt like it was very important for her to like me, but I couldn't figure out why. And I, I never 
would really feel that about anybody else I'd met. But like when I met her, she was kind of shy and she didn't really act like she was that interested in talking to me. And I remember being very bothered by that. And I'm thinking, why do I even care? It's just some new girl I met. Who, who gives a crap? Like, I, I, like logically, I was saying this shouldn't matter, but like somehow it was really bothering me that she didn't. I, I didn't think she thought that much of me. And I, I was wrong about her perception. There, I was just, uh, she was kind of shy. I got the wrong idea. But, but the thing was that I couldn't figure out at the time why it was important to me. And all these years later, now, where she's the mother of my only child. And I've been with her almost 10 years. Uh, I thought, is it possible that I really saw something in what was going to happen in the future? And that's why, like without knowing it, but that just uh, somehow I knew I was looking at the mother of my only child for the future. And that's why if she didn't like me, it would be a problem. It was weird thinking back to that, that that uh, that was the feeling I had. But, uh, but yeah, so I added, I added her and we started, she had remembered, she did remember, I wasn't sure she remembered me, but she remembered me very well. And after a few messages back and forth on Facebook, she put her phone number at the end and I called her up. And the first thing she said when I called her, she said, you sound exactly the same as back when you were in college. Your, your voice is identical to back then. And we talked for like three hours that night and we just talked for hours every single night and she came to vegas to see me in in august of 2009 and that's where it began and we're still together today and we have benjamin so sadly i have facebook to thank for all this <laughs> that's what kind of sucks about this is all my criticism for facebook i think damn it if this never existed i wouldn't have benjamin and i guess it could be rough like if you had searched you must have searched for some people no, I didn't. That's the funny thing. You I, just went in, set up your profile, didn't search for anybody in Facebook, and then just left. No, I did nothing. Right, I did nothing. I, I put entered my name, did nothing for two weeks. That then that girl popped up because she. So the first girl she had. I forgot. I think I forgot to mention this. The first girl had uploaded her email list. That's where it found me. Because I was so curious about this, I'm asking you. Like, oh yeah, so that's what it yeah, is. Yeah, so I was like, it like, would look alike. I mean, that's what they have. Yeah, so I was asking, I was like trying to figure it out, and I said, well, like, did you give them your email address? Oh yeah, I did do that. It mentioned that it would help me connect with friends more easily. I go, no, 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 you don't want to do that. <laughs> Never give things like this. It's uh, like even then, I was telling you, like, don't trust Facebook with your info. They're just going to abuse it. That's they're just harvesting data. Anyway. So that's how that one was found. But the, but the second one, I don't know how it did it. And I guess, I guess it's it's good it did. Just uh, It was still kind of creepy, but it's it's good it did. So, yeah, I, my, my son exists because of some kind of uh, creepy data violation, probably. That's, it sounds almost like I'm advocating them doing this. But that's sometimes, sometimes uh, good things come out of uh, bad actions. I think Annie Duke made that point at some point. All right. I, we got on a big-time tangent on that one from the win. There's some people who listen to this show that hate when I repeat stories I've told in the past. So those people are going to be angry at me. But there's always the fast-forward button. Remember that. There's always the fast-forward button, especially now we have the timestamps. Okay, another casino story. This one about Caesars. Caesars 
which now has to deal with the constant uh, meddling and wrath of Carl Icahn, who is their biggest shareholder. He's not a majority shareholder, but he's their biggest shareholder. He uh, has been increasingly vocal with his opinions about uh, the way they're operating and increasingly demanding regarding giving him a say in what goes on. So he already had three uh, three board members on there that were pretty much his lackeys. And I think he got a fourth one. Anyway, one, oh no, it was, he was going to get a fourth one. And we, we mentioned this... Uh, I'm not sure if I mentioned this last week, actually. I'm forgetting if I mentioned this last week. But uh, there was a deadline. He really didn't like CEO Mark Fersora. He thought basically he sucked, which is kind of right. <laughs> but, uh, for Sora, I guess he did an okay job getting them out of the bankruptcy, but really didn't know what he was doing as far as running the company. So he really wanted for Sora out. And he, uh, so there was some agreement with Icon that they either had to appoint a new CEO by April 15th or Icon was going to get another board seat. I think he was going to get his fourth board seat. So they did. They, just in time, hired a new CEO and one who has some past association with Carl Icon. So Fersora is out, and the new CEO of Caesars Entertainment is Tony Rodio. That's R-O-D-I-O. His experience mainly comes from Atlantic City. He's worked for Harris in the past. Uh, as I said, Carl Icahn did not like Mark Versora because he lacked experience in managing a large gaming company. That he was decent at getting them out of the bankruptcy, but once that was done, his lack of experience in managing a large gaming company was seen as a glaring weakness, and Icahn really wanted him out. So this uh, Tony Rodeo has taken over. I believe he's, uh, I think he's 60 years old. And it's, uh, what, what they're going to have to do is come up with a new strategic direction of the company, which it's kind of lacked for a while. The Caesars hasn't really had a direction or figured out what they're doing. Uh, they weren't very good at uh, expanding into other markets. For example, they didn't end up getting a property in Macau, which was a huge mistake. They expanded too quickly, especially into some markets that weren't very lucrative. They took on too much debt. They they kind of just were... Caesars has been existing in kind of a haphazard fashion for quite some time, and, and Icon doesn't like that, and this didn't really change much under Fersora, though they did get out of the bankruptcy. Uh, it's said that 
this new CEO Rodeo is going to want to uh, cut debt and that he might actually sell some of Caesar's properties rather than looking to expand. They may actually get rid of some of their properties. They, it's, it's being forecasted by Deutsche Bank that Caesar's net debt will, will be quite high if something isn't done. If they pretty much stay the course, by the end of 2019, their debt's going to be $100 billion. $7 billion. Not even that far off from that. So they're saying something needs to be done about this, or there's going to be... Uh, <laughs> the debt is, is going to be continue spiraling out of control. And that's something that's assumed might be done by this new CEO. There's also some thought that he might be trimming corporate expenses, which are said to be in the hundreds of millions of dollars per year. They also need to establish a positive culture, according to an analyst, Say that uh, Caesar's corporate culture has been hurt over the years by their bankruptcy and their change in leadership. We have a listener to this show who used to work for them and calls them the evil empire, and definitely he didn't like the corporate culture over there. Uh, now... Rodeo, he only worked, uh, he mainly worked in Atlantic City, and Caesars, they have three properties there, but that's not really their main focus. They have a lot more properties in Vegas, and Atlantic City is just a small percentage of their properties, and Atlantic City isn't really the center of the gaming universe in any way, that's more of Las Vegas. Caesars has more than 50 properties at the moment. Now, uh, Rodeo actually operated uh, Tropicana. He was running uh, the Tropicana Entertainment Company, which uh, Icon was in charge of, until it was uh, sold last year to Eldorado Resort and Gaming. So this is someone that he, uh, Icon is familiar and comfortable with. Currently, Icon owns 18% of Caesars. He has a th- quarter of the 12 board seats at the moment. So now he has three out of the 12 board seats and the CEO who's close to him. So he's really taking control there. It really came out of nowhere, too. Like for, for a long time, it wasn't even known. This only came out recently that Icon had a big stake in Caesars. And it's because he wasn't asserting himself about it. Only recently has he stepped forward and said, okay, yep, I, I own a good stake in Caesars, and no, I'm not happy with everything going on, and yes, I want to see changes, and if you try to stand in my way, I'm going to make things difficult. Then there's also the matter of the sale, which is possible. We talked about this last week. 
that Icon wants Caesars to possibly go up for sale. And that that's the best way to increase the value of the stock. There have been some interested buyers. Tillman Fertitta sent them a reverse merger proposal last year. El Dorado Resorts has talked about a possible purchase or merger. And there could be others. The one really bad thing for the consumer would be if an existing large casino operator that has a ton of properties in the same markets as Caesars currently has were to buy them. The one that really comes to mind is MGM. If MGM buys Caesars, that will be very bad for the consumer in several ways. It's going to reduce competition. Anyone who is banned, whether fairly or unfairly, from one group of casinos will now be banned from both. Uh, Customer service will decline. Rates for the hotels will probably increase. It's just like anything else where they're where competition disappears, it becomes a worse situation for the consumer. So we don't want to see MGM by Caesars for sure. If it's a smaller gaming company or a gaming company that operates casinos where Caesars really doesn't have properties or major properties, it's not that big of a deal. In fact, in some cases, the typical customer won't even notice the difference. As I said before, it's probably not likely to affect the World Series. They'll probably keep the same people in place. What about the rumors you're hearing about the Rio? They've been pushed by Vital Vegas, by Las Vegas locally. These are two well-followed Twitter accounts about Las Vegas. There's been rumors that the Rio is going to be sold very soon and demolished. In fact, some say it's going to happen extremely soon is that possible is it possible you'll be in the middle of the world series and the walls around you will come crashing down because that's how fast the sale will happen no now first of all the world series starts in less than six weeks so that would be pretty fast for all that to happen but caesars needs the rio right now they don't want the Rio. They don't like the Rio. They wish they didn't have to hassle with the Rio, but they're keeping the Rio because they need the Rio. They cannot get rid of the Rio because they don't have a replacement for its convention space. The Rio has a lot of parking. The Rio has a lot of convention space. They need that for the World Series and other large conventions. They don't have a substitute for that right now. When they do, then they will be able to get rid of the Rio. Then it will be expendable. Right now, it is not expendable. When it will probably become expendable is when the Caesars Convention Center on the Strip opens. 
that is right now slated for 2020. It is believed it will be done in time for the 2020 World Series of Poker, but it's not a certainty. They will not want to get rid of the Rio until that is a certainty. If they're totally certain, the Caesars Convention Center will be done and operational in time for the 2020 World Series of Poker. Then, any time after the 2019 World Series of Poker is completed, then they can sell the Rio and demolish it or do whatever they want to do. But they're not going to do that until they are sure they have a replacement, and I don't think they're going to do it at all until the Caesars Convention Center opens, because even if they know it will be ready for the 2020 World Series of Poker, if they, say, demolish the Rio or sell the Rio in August 2019, then in between, for all those months in between, they will have nowhere to hold large conventions. They don't want that either. So there's not much of an upside to sell the Rio right now. What they're doing right now with the Rio is keeping it in a holding pattern. They're spending very little on maintenance. They're not spending money on promotion. They have brought down the features it has to where it's not expensive to operate. It's just in a holding pattern where there's minimal expenditures on it to where it's basically supporting itself. I don't know if it's totally supporting itself, but it's, it's, it's not hemorrhaging money. And they they need it at the moment. So they're just kind of holding on with it. And then as soon as they don't need it anymore, they can let it go. It's kind of like, uh, let's say you're in a house that you really don't want to stay in anymore and you really plan to move. Uh, you're not going to put a lot of money into the house. You're not going to do a lot of remodeling. You're not going to go put in a pool. You're not going to do things like that if you're about to sell the house. But let's say you don't want to sell the house yet until your uh, last kid is out of high school and your your kid's currently uh, in the middle of their junior year in high school. So you go, okay, I've, I've got more than a year before I can sell this house. So in the meantime, I'll just keep the house livable, but I'm not going to put more money into it. That's, that's kind of what they're doing with the Rio. So don't believe this BS that you're reading on Las Vegas locally or Vital Vegas. They, they put out a lot of stupid rumors, and occasionally they get one right. They're better at some things than others, but they're, they're not good at all with this type of stuff. And what happens, it's like the game of telephone that you used to play as a kid, where everybody sits in a circle and someone starts out with a certain phrase, they say it to the next person in a whisper, and it gets whispered around in the circle, and by the time it gets to the last person, it's a completely different message. This is what happens with some of these rumors. So let's say there's a rumor within Caesars that they really want to get rid of the Rio once the convention center is ready. And that what they're either going to do is sell it or wreck it and put something else there or sell it to someone who's going to wreck it. But that's, that's the eventual plan once the convention center's up. And then that's told to someone else who then tells it to someone else, and then tells it to someone else. By the time it gets to Vital Vegas or Las Vegas locally, all they're hearing is the Rio's about to be sold and demolished. It's something like that. So beware of those rumors. There's no way they let go of the Rio before they have a replacement for the World Series of Poker. I can tell you that. And I'm talking about for 2020, 2019. That's beginning in less than six weeks. So... 
even if they had the convention center ready tomorrow by some miracle, let's say it just built itself and it was there, let's say someone waved a magic wand and it was there, they wouldn't move it at this point. Everybody's planning to come to the Rio. Everyone knows it's at the Rio. Everybody's made plans for the Rio. It's too late to even inform everybody that they're changing the venue. So it's at the Rio for the 2019 World Series. There's no question. And they're not going to sell it before then. If it is sold, maybe the sale won't close until after that, but it's it's definitely going to be at the Rio. They're going to own the Rio until the end of the World Series. It's I guess there's a small possibility that they could sell it, but then the new buyer has to agree to let them lease it back until the end, but I don't see this. There's no rush. They don't have to sell it right now. There's no rush. They're not going to get much for it. There's no rush. Trader Ruski, you still with us? I am, but I'm fading rough. You took the tea? The tea's been oh, taken? The tea. Yeah, I just drink the tea. Okay, well, you can you can take off and have a good night if you like, or you can just fade off when you want, whatever. It's, uh, it's up to you. Yeah, I'll probably sign off. But uh, good show tonight. I got to one thirty almost. That's good. <laughs> I, I saw I saw you're still on. I said, I wonder if he's falling asleep or if he's just been here. But you're here. Yeah, I may have missed chunks, so I'll okay. go back and re-listen. Okay. All, All right, right, I'll talk to you later. Have a good night. Thanks. Good night. As is common at the end of the show, I am now alone. It feels like a weeknight. I just, like, I was looking at Trader Ruski's beautiful picture on Skype, and and I thought to myself, uh, oh, wow, he's up late tonight. You know, I hope he doesn't have to wake up early tomorrow. And I'm like, I'm, I'm kind of thinking like it's going to be Thursday or Friday. I go, wait a minute, this is Saturday night. This is Saturday night. Okay. Second to last topic. Another casino topic. What can I say? Not a lot of news in poker this week. But another casino topic. Uh, the Cosmopolitan is another casino that might sell. The Cosmopolitan has already sold once, but it might happen again. The Cosmopolitan is currently owned by the Blackstone Group. And they bought it for $1.73 billion around five years ago from Deutsche Bank AG. Then they also put in uh, $500 million on renovations. They added 21 penthouse suites, 18 bars and restaurants, and renovated 3,000 rooms. But despite all that money they spent which between what they bought the property for and the money they put into adding and renovating, which is about $2.25 billion, there is some belief that they could sell it for as much as $4 billion. You might wonder, how did the Blackstone Group end up buying it from a bank? Why, why was a bank in the casino business? Why was Deutsche Bank AG in the casino business? Well, they really weren't. What happened was that the previous ownership group defaulted on loans during the real estate crash in 2008. In fact, the Cosmopolitan was originally 
to be a condo complex. And that's why a lot of the rooms at the Cosmopolitan resemble small studio condos rather than hotel rooms. That's why there's that weird kitchenette in them. The uh, so then it was it was later changed into a hotel and casino when that and there were still condos there and that actually caused a lot of controversy at the time because a lot of those who had bought condominiums there or put it, or put down deposits for them did so believing it was going to be a condo complex and not a hotel and in fact some had put a lot of money down for deposits only to see the amount they agreed to pay for the uh, you know they, they put a deposit down to buy it at a certain price and then there was the big crash to where the condos were worth much less at that point so some of these people were trying to get out of that deposit and get it refunded to them saying that they put the deposit down believing they were buying into a condo complex and not a hotel condo complex and that they should not be obligated to pay that outrageous price uh, or forfeit their deposit, and that they should be able to just walk away and get the deposit back. And there's a big uh, legal dispute over that back then, which lasted for years. I don't even know how it totally ended. There were some that ended up uh, settling, but there were some that held out. The prospective buyers include MGM, Wynn, and the Genting Group. The Genting Group is a very large Asian gambling company based out of Malaysia. And they are the ones who are opening up Resorts World in Las Vegas next year. So it's possible that Caesars and the Cosmo are going to be for sale at the same time. Imagine if both of them change hands. Now again, you might ask, what will change there if it's bought? And probably not that much. The Cosmopolitan, from what I can tell, and I haven't seen any earnings reports or anything, so I'm just speaking as someone who's been there, including earlier this month and just observed, it seems to be doing well. It's got a very good location. It's still very much in favor with the young, cool, and hip crowd, and also even the older crowd that wants to feel like they're young, cool, and hip, or older dudes who uh, have younger girlfriends or younger women that they're dating and being the sugar daddy for. They This is where they want to bring them. This is often where the old perverts with the uh, 25-year-old girlfriend like to go. This is where a lot of the young people like to go. It's still a very in-place. It's an upscale in-place. And it pretty much stole all the business from the Palms. That's what the Palms used to be, and the Cosmo took over that business. Nicer than the Palms, got a better location than the Palms. It seems to be bustling and doing very well. And the restaurants there that have been added, most of them are pretty good. I've been to some of them and enjoyed them. They seem to be busy. 
everything seems to be doing well. The whole place is a success story so far, from what I can tell. And that's why now it would sell for more money than the Blackstone Group paid five years ago by a wide margin. The ad looks good. So I think it's going to be a case of if it works, don't fix it. The Blackstone Group came in. They, they bought a property that was good but still had room to grow, room to get better. They did some renovations. They added some penthouse suites. And then they added a number of bars and restaurants saying, hey, we, we need some more of that here. So, okay, now they got all that. So now there's not that much to do anymore. So now I think anyone that buys it will just uh, take what's already there and go forward with it. I'm not saying nothing will change, but I, I don't think you're going to see any kind of major change if it does change hands. So it's one of these things interesting to talk about, but it's not going to be much of a difference unless it is bought by Wynn or MGM. Then that'll be a bit more interesting if it becomes an MGM property or if it becomes a Wynn property. If it becomes an MGM property, then it will be right next to the Aria and fit in very well there. Also next to the Bellagio. It'd be right between the Bellagio and the Aria, so that's uh, good for MGM. They'll have kind of a line of properties there. If it's bought by Wynn, then Wynn will finally have a property in Center Strip. Right now, their only properties are South Strip. Sorry, North Strip. They're kind of shut out from the main Center Strip. By the time you get to win an encore, you're near the end of what's relevant at the moment. And same with the Resorts World, which is going to be right by the win. They will have a property center strip if they get it. And that's why these are the three companies who are really interested. Notice Caesars is not on that list. Caesars is looking to do the opposite. They may sell properties. Caesars also already has a center strip presence. And they also don't have a property in that row. So they... Like for MGM, it's more appealing to have a row of MGM properties like this without something in the middle like the Cosmo currently is. For Win and Resorts World, it would be good for either of them to have a presence center strip. Caesars, they have a presence center strip. They have a big presence center strip. And yet, if they had the Cosmo, it would kind of be smack dab in between MGM properties. It just they it, it's not not that they wouldn't want it, but it's not that important for them compared to the other companies. And they're not looking to buy right now in Vegas. So they will not be the buyer if it goes for sale. Blackstone still would have to sell it. All right. Uh I'm talking about Pennsylvania. And online poker. Now, I usually have been staying away from these state-level online poker topics because they usually just don't come to pass. Even if the topic seems interesting, then I sometimes hear some of these that I did years ago when I listened to the Call to Listen line. And I'll hear myself in 2014 talking about such and such states going to have online poker in 2015. And then I go, no, it, no, they didn't. This went nowhere. Like I, I'm listening to the whole segment, and I'm going, well, this is stupid. This 
this didn't go anywhere. This didn't happen. So I've really stopped talking about online poker in states that don't have it yet, unless it's really clear they're going to. Well, in Pennsylvania's case, it's really clear they're going to. In fact, a date has already been announced, or just, no, I shouldn't say already, it just got announced to when online poker is going to begin there. Much like what New Jersey did, Pennsylvania does not want to give any particular company a first-to-market advantage. So they decided upon a date that it will begin. And anybody ready to launch can launch on that date. And anybody not not ready won't. But this way, there's not a race for one to get there a few weeks ahead of the other or anything like that. Like as, long, as long as you're there on this first day, then you're all launching at the same time. So Pennsylvania put up the following statement during one of their meetings at the uh, Pennsylvania Gaming Control Board. Interactive gaming featuring poker, slots, and table gameplay is a key component in the legislature's expansion of gambling in Pennsylvania. As part of our regulatory framework regarding interactive gaming, the board enacted the regulatory requirement to establish a a commencement date for the rollout of, of internet gaming. Staff has reviewed the estimated time that it would take for us and the industry to complete all necessary steps, and it is our view that 90 days would be adequate. Accordingly, I have advised the 10 gaming certificate holders and the three gaming operators that a coordinated go-live period for the interactive gaming will commence on July 15th, 2019. That's the magical date. So the coordinated go-live period is exactly what I said. It's a date that everybody can start if they're ready, but not before, Not not even a day before. There are seven casinos that plan to launch online poker sites. They are Parks Casino, Harris, Philadelphia, Mount Airy Casino, Hollywood Casino at Penn National Racecourse, Sands Bethlehem, Sugar House Casino, Valley Forge Casino. Sands Bethlehem is... Adelson's property. Harris, Philadelphia is a Caesars property, obviously. Uh, Hollywood Casino, there's a number of those out there. I forget who owns them. The rest, I believe, are independent. But then there's also three casinos that are going to offer online casino games, but just they don't want the hassle of online poker. So Stadium Casino, a.k.a. Live Philadelphia Casino, it's the same place as one of them, Presque Isle Downs, and Mohegan Sun. All three of these are going to offer online casino games, but not online poker. And then there's two other possible potential online poker operators, and they could also offer the casino games that they want. 
and that is MGM and Golden Nugget. So what happened was that uh, not every licensing slot was filled. So anyone else who wants a license starting uh, between October 15th and October 30th, or October 31st of 2018, quote, other qualified gaming entities were allowed to apply for licensing spots. And MGM and Golden Nugget applied. It's not clear if they are going to get these spots. So which software is going to exist on these online poker sites. Well, it's probably going to be some kind of uh, partnership for all of them. The Ultimate Poker proprietary software that launched in 2013 in Nevada and New Jersey was a disaster, and that site no longer exists. So it looks like WSOP.com was the smarter one to partner with 888, even though they're a pretty crappy partner, but at least they didn't waste their money on software. So 888 will continue to be the partner for WSOP.com, which will be the site for Harris, Philadelphia. That's pretty obvious if you know anything about Caesars online offerings. They're going to stick with the same thing. Uh, they will not be able to share player pools with the existing WSOP.com because that agreement is only between New Jersey, Nevada, and Delaware currently, not Pennsylvania. Though maybe Pennsylvania will join too, provided it does not become illegal to do, which it might soon. Uh, Party Poker is going to be the software provider for Valley Forge. Uh, Poker Stars is going to be the software for Mount Airy. So if you like the Poker Stars software, which I think is the best, then you should play on Mount Airy in Pennsylvania. Uh, the other ones, I'm not sure. Uh, as far as the casino games, Hollywood Casino there is going to use uh, IGT for their casino games. Parks is going to use GAN, and Sugar House is going to use uh, Rush Street Interactive. But as far as the online poker, I'm not sure what software they're going to be using. The only three that are really known are that uh, Poker Stars is going to Mount Airy, Valley Forge is using Party Poker, and Harris is using WSOP.com's 888 software. So July 15th, we will see. How do I think it's going to do? I think it's going to be a fail site, is what I think. Why do I think that? Because so far, legalized online poker has been a fail. It has been. Even with the combined player pool, it has been a fail. It's been far, far less lucrative 
than they expected. In fact, uh, last I heard, these sites were losing money, at least from the poker side. This is why three of the licensees don't even want poker. They don't even want to bother with it because it's just not making much money. WSMP.com, with that combined player pool of Nevada, New Jersey, Delaware, still only has an average of 280 cash players on. And that's pretty bad. They didn't set this whole thing up for 280 average players. Poker Stars New Jersey, they're not combined. There's only New Jersey they're serving, but they've got 85 on average. Party Poker New Jersey down to 45 on average. Pala Poker has been a complete fail. It's showing the seven-day average is actually zero. Wow. So we're I don't I don't I, I just don't see this there's gonna have to be a lot of states on board and a lot of populous states and they're gonna have to be sharing player pools and that's the only way to get this done otherwise it's they're just gonna be fail sites they're gonna be ghost towns Don't be too excited. Don't don't think this is going to be like another coming of the poker boom. It's not. We've seen it's a, it's it's basically been a fail. The sites have done okay overall in states that have casinos attached to it too, but where it's just poker, it's a fail. And where poker and casino games are allowed, it's it's the casino that's making the money. The poker's making nothing. Finally, this is not a topic on the agenda, but I'm going to talk about it before I end the show. I've seen some controversy lately on uh, real grinders, but I've seen it elsewhere, regarding money that's owed. And I'm sometimes surprised at the reaction I see from people when these dramas break out where someone will come forward and talk trash about someone else because they owe money to a third person. And then the person who is said to owe the money will either deny it, but then later after enough pressure will admit it, or will admit it and say, well, look, it's very little money that I owe, so get off my back. I'm not going to name names here, but there is one particular person a female on Real Grinders who was bashed by a certain person who accused them of sleeping with guys for buy-ins, blah, blah, blah. I don't know if that was true or not. I don't really know this person. I don't really know the accuser. But when all the arguing continued and some things came out, it turned out that the girl in question owed an ex-boyfriend, $100. I'm not even kidding, $100. That's all. 
And most of the people who are reading this conversation were bashing the guy who brought this up and bashing the guy who was giving her a hard time, saying it's just $100, but out of it, you're an idiot, you're this, you're that, how could you be bringing this over $100, blah, blah, blah. And I thought to myself, wait a minute. If, if she, all she owes is $100, why doesn't she just pay it? Why don't you just pay the guy right now and say, okay, we're done. That's it. Don't owe you 100 anymore. How, how could you owe someone $100 and not be able to pay it? Unless you're really, 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 really flat broke. But I would think that the person who comes out and says, yeah, I owe someone $100 and yeah, I'm in the process of taking care of it. That's, that's, that's pretty much like self-ownership there. That's pretty much telling your, telling everybody, I'm so broke, I'm in such bad shape that I have to actually take some time to pay back someone 100 And it's not because they just haven't got around to it or they've just been lazy or just uh, forgot about it for a while. This is actually where they, they know it's there and they just haven't been able to pay. And I don't think anybody should ever be shamed, or sorry, it's the other way around. I don't think anyone should be criticized for shaming those who owe money, even a small amount of money, and are making it difficult for that money to be collected, even if it is only $100. Well, why don't you just pay the $100 then? And I don't know any of these people involved. That's why I'm not naming them, because I don't want to talk trash about someone if I don't completely understand the situation well. And I, I didn't invest a lot of time reading it. I just kind of skimmed it. I was just kind of taken aback by, yeah, you know, yeah, I was with this guy for a while. We dated for a while. Then we stopped for reasons I don't want to get into. But yeah, I owe him $100. And yeah, I'm in the process of taking care of that. I'm like, well, wait a minute. What do you mean the process? Just, I just said, I said, look, I don't know any of you, but if you owe this person $100 and you admit it, why not? Just pay him 100 and be done. Like, I don't get it. But I'm not really doing this segment to comment on this girl or even on the guy she owes money to. I'm commenting on the people who were commenting on it and how they perceive it. Oh, it's just 100. Why bring that up? Why make you a drama over this? And, and few stop to ask, why not just pay the 100 and put this behind you? And I've never liked that thinking that because something isn't a lot of money that the principle isn't important. I can see not wanting to go after money where the principle is not important. Or, or, or not wanting to go after money on principle if the money itself is not important because it's low. I can understand that. I can understand if, let's say, someone owes you 10 bucks. I can see not chasing them down for 10 bucks. Because it's only 10 bucks, You don't want to expend the effort for it. That's, that makes a lot of sense. But wouldn't you have in your mind, wow, this person stiffed me out of 10 bucks and they know it? Wow, that kind of changes my opinion about them? <laughs> Maybe I don't ever want to deal with them and money ever again. Maybe I don't even want to associate with this person anymore if they're going to try to stiff me for something like 10 bucks. That's what I would think is the right way to approach it. Unless it's someone who really, really 
is struggling and out of pity you don't try to collect a small sum of money because they they're having such a hard time you don't want to compound their problems when you don't need the money as badly as they do i can understand that but i, I never like those that shame people for bringing something up just because the amount of money is small if the amount of money is owed and it's small and yet the person who owes it isn't paying it. That says a lot about them because they can pay it easily no matter who they are, no matter what they make, without a lot of burden upon their lives, and yet they're not. So when I see a story like this, I don't look badly upon the person calling out the person who owes the $100 I look badly upon the person who owes the $100 and somehow isn't making it right. Again, unless it's one of these things where just they just haven't taken care of it yet because they were busy with other things or they forgot about it because it was so small or something like that, then it's fine. Not totally fine, but not not a huge deal. But if you really are saying, hey, you know, I, owe, I know you, I owe you 100 but give me some time, I'll get it to you eventually. That's a problem. That is a problem. I've always been of the belief anyway that anybody in any situation can find ways to save like an extra $100 in not too long of a time. There's a lot of little things you can cut out of your life that you can survive cutting out of your life and be able to save $100 over not too long of a time. You know, maybe cut out some junk food that you buy all the time for yourself, or or maybe you visit Starbucks too often. You cut out some of those visits. Maybe you could... Not go out as often, you know, go out drinking, go out whatever that, you know, costs some money every time. There's there's very few people out there in the United States who live such an austere life and still don't have any money that there's really nothing they can cut out. Like, you can't cut out rent. You can't cut out you know, a place to live with a roof over your head. You can't cut out food, necessary food. You know, you, uh, you can't just not eat... Or not pay rent. I even understand how if you have a car, you have to make whatever payments are involved there. You have to pay for gas. You have to pay for insurance. You have to pay for a car payment if you have that. So I can understand those basics. You can't just say, oh, I won't do this so I can pay this guy the money I owe. But if you owe someone like $100, say, you, you shouldn't be going out to a movie and spending 12 bucks for a movie ticket. You shouldn't be going to Starbucks and ordering $5 coffees. You shouldn't be... You shouldn't have a cable service with a good package of channels. You should have basically the minimum of what you really need. You shouldn't have the very top-blazing, fast internet package. 
Uh, you shouldn't be going to the store and buying all kinds of junk food. Like these, this is stuff you can cut out if you owe people money. And if you owe people money and you're living anything above like a, a basic lifestyle, then you're not acting in an honest fashion towards those you owe money. And I've been annoyed by this at times when people have owed me money and I see that uh, they wasted on BS instead of paying me back. I, I've seen that. And yet I would never demand that somebody you know, sell their car so they could pay me back or move to a worse area or, or something like that or live on the street or barely eat anything. Like I, I wouldn't ever do that. And... Uh, This is why I don't even like loaning money to people for the most part. Because I hate the process of chasing down people to get the money back. Not only is it a pain in the ass, not only is it stressful, but I, I end up being getting... I, I get treated like the bad guy. How dare you ask me for money when I'm struggling so much? You know, you you don't need it. I don't need to give it to you right now. Cut me a break, man. Stop being so insensitive to my plight. I find the most the more you can keep money out of friendships, the longer the friendships are going to last. I know some people who are friends and not not really close friends, but maybe one time close friends that I'm still friendly with after a lot of years, things like that. Who I, I know are terrible with money, and I know that if I ever loan them anything that not only wouldn't they pay me back in a timely fashion, but they'd be jerks about it to me if I tried to bring it up. So I'm like, okay, I just won't ever do it. I just won't ever get anything involved with this person involving money, and then we won't have to worry about it. I don't say this to them, but this is what I think. But if you owe someone money, just make some effort to pay them. Even if you owe them a lot. Let's say you owe them $5,000, but you you know you could not afford to pay them more than 100 bucks a month. You're just you're struggling so much, you you make very little at work. You're Let's just say the basics in life, it still at most would leave you like $100 extra a month to pay them. And you go, wow, why should I even bother? I owe them $5,000. i will never get it done at this rate. Well, fuck it. I won't pay them at all. You shouldn't do that. You should send them 100 bucks a month. They'll be thrilled. I guarantee they'll be thrilled to start getting $100 a month from you. They won't care. It's going to take 50 months. They'll, they'll, be, they'll take it. They'll take it because to them, they've, they've already pretty much written it off and they're pissed off about it. And then they see that you are sending them money voluntarily every month to pay it down, they're not going to say, hey, asshole, why is it $100 a month? Why isn't it 500 Why isn't it 1000 They're not going to say that. They're going to, they're going to think this is found money. And it's going to speak well of your character, too. 
And and don't ever get this idea in your head that because they have more money than you do that you don't have to pay them or you you have to wait until you're doing well until you pay the debt back. No, just if you should have paid it already, if you, if the agreement or the implied agreement was that they're going to be paid a long time ago, then send them something. Send them something regularly, even if it's very little money, even if it's $50 every month. Just send something to show that you're making an effort to pay back. I know very few people who would receive money every month and complain that it's not enough. It would, most people who receive money every month as payback for a loan that hasn't been paid in a long time, they're very happy. Very happy, very appreciative, and they think much better of you. Trust me. Try it and you'll see. Well, that's it. Uh, I don't know what to say about our next show. Because this is a Saturday night. And this is definitely not going to be our regular night. And yet I don't want the next show to be too soon. Because I won't have as much to say. So let's see what I should do here. Uh, Let's see here. I can't do the 26th. I was thinking of Friday the 26th, but I actually have to be up early, very early on Saturday morning next week. So Friday the 26th would not be a good date. I, I think as much as I don't want to do it, I think we may have to have a show on Thursday. I think so. Probably won't be that long of a show. We'll only have... uh, What is it now? Five days in between. Less now, because it's technically Sunday now. But yeah, I think think it'll be Thursday the 25th will be the next show. And then we'll go back to a Wednesday show on May 1st. That's my plan. Since I have the World Series coming up and I know what my schedule is going to be, uh, I'll quickly give you a heads up as far as that. Not that we've had a regular schedule anyway, so it's not like you're used to being at the show being on Wednesday. I don't even know why I'm doing this little segment. But just to let you know, since the first Wednesday that could possibly interfere with the World Series. I guess I should say the first Wednesday that involves a date of the World Series is Wednesday, May 29th. And it goes from there. So, looking at my schedule here, uh, May 29th, I wouldn't be able to do it because it's the day before the... 1508 and I'll probably be traveling that day to go to the Rio and check in and I'm not going to do a whole show the night before the limit 08. No, you know what? I think it's an afternoon event. Let me see. Let me see what time that is. If it's an afternoon event, maybe I will. Maybe I'll actually do a late show or something. If it's like a th- 
3 p.m. event or something, I'll, do, I'll probably do the show that night. If it's at 11 a.m., I'm not going to. Uh, no, it's 3 p.m. Okay, so maybe I will do it. Maybe I will do it on the 29th. I don't love the idea of getting to the Vegas for the World Se- for the start of the whole World Series and then doing a show right when I get there, but maybe I will. I'm not promising, but maybe I will. If I don't, uh, then I might have a hard time that week doing it at all because I have the Limit 08, then I have the uh, that Big 50 thing a few days after that, then I have the satellite to the Limit uh, the 10K Limit 08 and the 10K Limit 08 itself on the next day, so yeah. The time that it should be fine, there there's going to be a period of a break where I don't play any events, and that'll be in the middle of June. It seems like that's when everybody's coming to the World Series. You're like, I have all these people that say, hey, you know, I'm going to be here on June 13th. I'd love to meet you. I'd love to say hello. I'd love to go to dinner. And I go, ah, nope. I won't be there on June 13th. I'm going to be leaving town for a few, about two weeks after... The uh, the either the millionaire maker or the one uh, k no limit hold'em double stack, and whenever those are over, for me that is not completely over. But when it's over for me, then I'm going to be gone until the uh, the twenty fourth. So I'll probably be gone from somewhere around like June eleventh through the twenty fourth, a two week period. And uh, then I should be there for most of the rest of the series. So it's kind of a weird thing. I'm going to be like, I'll be there most of the time from the beginning of the series until about like June 11th. And then I'll be gone for two weeks and then I'll be back for most of the series. I might, let me see. No, I, I guess I'll be there. Yeah, I guess I'll be there for most of the series after that. So it's really that two-week period where I'm not there. So during that two-week period, from June 11th to the 24th, I guess I can do the show on Wednesday, on the 12th and the 19th of June. Other than that, I'll have to fit it in. So really the only guaranteed shows I guess I can say we're going to have are the those two weeks, the June 12th and 19th week. The... Other weeks in June and even the final week of May and the beginning and second week of July, I'll have to just squeeze in shows when I can with little notice. And when I say that, I mean like where there's days I don't have events. So like if I don't make day two of something and then I don't have another event for another two days or another one day, like then I'll, I'll say, hey, we're having a show. This is the type of thing I don't know till I play. I know what I'm playing, but not how far I'll make it in them. I hope every event I, I make day three or beyond. That won't happen, but that, that's what I hope. Someone texted me that... Uh, they texted me Happy Easter, first of all. On purpose, because they know I'm a Jew. And then they said there's a 1530 Limit Hold'em game going on in America's card room. Okay, you know, if that's regularly going, maybe I'll give it a shot there, despite all the botting and crap. Mumbles Badly texted, by the way, 
loving the call to listen line. I'm listening to the show on my iPhone while simultaneously watching YouTube videos. Uh, how can you do that? Aren't they interfering with one another with the sound? Let's take a look at the chat room before I shut down the show. Notice they took no break tonight. I just powered right through. Uh, Saw24 said, LOL, Ultimate Poker, Mount Airy wins. Yeah, I, I wonder if people are going to choose Mount Airy because they have the best software with poker stores. There's like nobody left in the chat room. It's me and John Commode. That everybody's like, everybody ditched the chat room. I guess it just got too late for everybody. It's kind of sad. Just me and Mr. Commode there. The ratings kind of dropped too. I think Saturday night is just not a big ratings night for this show. All right. I don't have anything more to say. I hope I'll have more to say on Thursday. I hope some things happen. Not to me, to other people. I'd rather have nothing to talk about than have bad things happening to me. Sometimes things are happening to me, though, and I'll think, you know, this is a good thing for radio. Like something kind of minor that's annoying, but I'll think this will be great for radio. Like a good example was that shower curtain debacle at Harris that time. Like it was really annoying and frustrating, but I thought this is going to be hilarious for radio. So I'll think that as, the, as these things are happening. But if, like something bad is happening, like actually bad, then I, I don't think that way. Then that's not that's not a good trade off there to have a bad thing happen, but then I can talk about it on a radio. It's just it's not worth it to me. All righty. I'm done. That's it. We are finished here. Don't bug don't bug me about the other property I was banned from. I'm still not revealing that yet. I know a lot of you want to know. I'm not ready to say it yet. Not ready to say it until it's really hopeless to get back there. It's not Caesars though. It is not Caesars. I'll be at the World Series. Well, this was the end song to All in the Family. We're beginning and ending the show with All in the Family. For those of you that wonder why I play this music at the end, first of all, I just like having an end song to the show. But I was always kind of fascinated with this ending to All in the Family, where you hear this song and you're like leaving their house. It it shows you kind of driving down the street away from the bunker house and then suddenly you're in the air like a little bit over the neighborhood then you're more over the neighborhood then you're like over Queens then you're over like all of New York and this this and the music kind of goes perfectly with the whole thing in case you're looking for this song it's by Roger Kellaway it's called Remembering You. He's a jazz pianist. I don't know if he's still alive. Obviously, anybody who wrote music for a show in 1970, which is now almost 50 years ago, uh, may not be living anymore. 
This is the long-form version of it. You never heard this part at the end of All in the Family. But this is the uh, 2 minute 21 second version of it. I don't know. This just seems like a perfect end song to me. It always has. One time I put this as the end song of, uh, I think it was Never Win Poker Radio or something, and I, when I started Poker Fraud on the radio, I said, you know what, this is going to be the end song every single time. And it always will be. Alright, I guess I'll talk to you guys on Thursday the 26th. Check twitter.com slash poker to make sure. Shalom. <laughs>